The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. song that doesn't get well it's one of those ones that was kind of lost and then it's been rediscovered there's no such thing i, I should let you in on a secret uh, dear listener uh, there's no such thing as a lost song or a lost album anymore they've, they've all been discovered danny kelly's hello here. hello we, we're sort of carrying on a, a conversation we've been having for the last 30 minutes all the great lost albums loves forever changes was was the one wasn't it and they've all been discovered now it, it's incredible um how in the past uh, well we can talk about the vinyl revival later on yeah uh, something I, I can't believe that the depth of which vinyl records have suddenly become a 
in and of themselves great things and be a marker of some kind of authenticity some kind yeah. of cool don't forget of course i live very near hoxton so this but i might have a much more sensitive view of this than other people um yeah it's one of the paul denoyer uh, who preceded me as editor of q magazine yeah. um wrote a wonderful piece I and mean, this was 20 years ago fantastic prescience saying that music was getting too easy to find yeah um and certainly the, the arrival of the of the internet and all its wonders um has meant that unless you're really really i'll use the word dim yeah um you you, you every bit of music that you should uh, know and love has probably been put in front of you i mean the really scary ones is where you know, you like three things, and an algorithm decides. Well, you forgot. You, yeah. You'd like this now. Half the time, it's absolutely ridiculous. The thing, you, the thing comes to you because we don't like music. It's not like um, an Olympic event where you can say he or she won the high jump because they jumped six foot three. We don't judge music yeah. um, by any kind of logical, factual thing. We judge it completely irrationally, which is why I loved working in the music press because you never knew what was going to happen next. People, people make record a people make record b mm. people love record b because the haircuts of the band people love record b um because the, something about the, the the sleeve appeals to them and then they then they immerse themselves in the yeah. music and they love it you're right um it, there's a, a one of the trendier record shops online it's called norman's records if they're listening hello oh i um, don't know norman's, norman's okay. uh, they I, I like norman's i like say Boomcat, which is it's very weird output of of you know left field electronic things yes um but norman's is pretty mainstream but it, what it has is that their staff are brutal reviewers, and I like that. Um, they recently dis de destroyed the new Fall album, which made me so determined to get it that day. <laughs> and and I bought it from them as well, just to make sure. He's got just to say the, the I think there was someone's just in, Interpol have just reissued their third or fourth album. Yeah, and of course Norman said, and there it is. The, the curtain comes down. Every record ever made has now been reissued on 180 gram vinyl. Yeah. Um, so you're right to say that the rock and roll. What we used to, you know, the 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 the, the what was the example you just gave? Love's forever changes yeah. or Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask replica. Um, they're Smiled no longer and twisted. They are they are now the mainstream. Yeah, and you have to go deeper and further. But there's still all kinds of weird things to discover. You know. Uh, um, I. Um, um, when my dad died about three or four years ago, I, I just you. went online and, um, just bought loads of albums. Just, I thought, I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to throw some money mm. away. And just bought albums on the covers. I went to Cherry Red mm. Records, their mm -hmm. website, because they do yep. some brilliant stuff. They yep. do some, some rubbish as well, as everyone does. Yeah. But they do some brilliant stuff. And I must have spent about 200, 300 quid just because I like that cover. I like that cover. Put that in the basket. And uh, half of it was awful, in my opinion. Uh, but a, th a third of it was just sweet. I found this brilliant album by this this duo from America in the sixties, T and Cara. No, you know me exactly. Yeah. And it's this bloke and this girl, and they were folkies, and they went in and recorded a folk album, just him on guitar and them doing lovely harmonies. And they went out, and the record company went, "Well, this won't sell." So they brought in a band, and they recorded a band and overdubbed it. T and Cara heard it and went, "Well, this is awful. This isn't what we wanted." And everyone went their separate ways. And it's just joyous. It's this wonderful ramble folky thing uh, that was a uh, you know uh, that was the sort of thing that happened to folk bands i mean simon, simon garfunkel, and garfunkel of course you know we we're about sound of silence then yeah. it was the drums were put on it without them knowing the next yeah. thing you know it's number one all over america i mean I, I i consume music in two different ways i i 
um, you know, I made my living. I was editor of, I'm, I always like to say this, and I like saying it, I was editor of the two best music magazines that ever walked the earth, yeah. NME and Q. And at times, I was, you know, they were very good at, under my stewardship. And I, I love the, you know, the, the whole thing about music, and I know about music, and I read about it, and I make the connections. Then they're actually separate to that is yeah. the record collecting part of me now, because that survived the, uh, no one likes vinyl anymore, and yeah. it survived my great friend and workmate Danny Baker selling all his vinyl and um, with me going are you mad yeah. when CDs were the thing of course he's all bought it back now <laughs> vast vastly inflated <laughs> prices my record collection there are things that you, you say you went and you bought things willy nilly yeah. I have to buy things now to satisfy certain dark corners of, I mean I'll be honest with you it's a vast record collection it's yeah. properly vast <laughs> People think you haven't really got 40,000 records, but I have. Wow. Um, Where do you keep them? Um, uh, in walls, in a storage facility. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, every room in the house. The house will fall down. Um, I'll take a picture of just... A, what, let me just open up my pictures here. Because I, I had a few hundred, and I got rid of most of them. And yeah. now I'm spending my time buying them back again that's, that's, that's the corner of one room oh, in my God, house yeah yeah put it up on uh, that's just one corner oh, of one of the rooms beautiful. yeah let yeah. me show the uh, yeah, let absolutely. me show the boys and girls on periscope have a look at this that's just uh, yeah you see that guys look at that isn't that stunning? And there's a little chair for sitting in to look at them. And you, uh, you go and sit in there and play them. Of course, Good. yes. But I can't play them. I mean, I could never play them all no. now because there's so many of them. So these, but part of that vast array is you talk about sleeves. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I love reggae music. Yeah. I, it was the thing. It was probably the first thing that actually blew my maybe soul blew my mind. And I love reggae seventies reggae music. I, I love it to death, and I I love the way. Because Jamaica is a society where you can't throw anything away. It was too poor. So everything gets reused, including the songs and the, the actual pieces of tape. You know, they all get reused. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved, and I'm not, um, uh, you know, dope has never been my thing. But I love they went through a spell where every cover featured the artist with a massive <laughs> blunt on and smoke pouring out of their nose, their mouth, their ears. Um, and, you know... For, you, you you buy Uroy's um, dread in a, dread in a Babylon, and there it is. He's doing that. Then when when Catch a Fire, the Whaler, the Whalers' great breakthrough album, stopped having the pretend lighter as its cover, the more cheap reissues. Yeah. There's Bob Marley with a massive blunt in his yeah. mouth, and so I got you know the records legalized by Peter Tosh, and you've got the half dozen good records. Now I'm buying really average records just to fulfil the idea of having people smoking marijuana on the front yeah. cover. I'm liking that a lot story I always tell as well how record collections are never you brought up the idea of you know there's no that nothing is lost that relies on though people saying that's 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 a good record and that's number two in division three and all the rest of it yeah um television the uh the, the great american post-punk band um whose first lp marquee moon i think is the second greatest guitar album ever made yeah. and you'll ask me what the first one is now and, and it's actually been relegated from from uh, one to two but they went out of fashion. That cold, heartless way of playing, that New York way of playing, went out of fashion. And I'd be in record shops, particularly the ones in central London back in the, in the 80s, where every week they put the price of the records down by 50 pence, you know, the record and tape exchange, and it's a, and it's a And I kept coming across these copies of Marky Moon mm. that people had bought on the back of, um, it would have been Nick Kent's full-page review. They never gave an LP a full-page review in the enemy. Yeah. They did for Marky Moon. He said, this is going to change the world. There were lots of copies, and then they got to 50 pence. I bought them, 
because I could not bear yeah. to see them just lying there languishing. Yeah. And at one stage, and I know this to be true, cause I wish I'd taken... I had 32 copies oh, of Marquee wow. Moon. Oh, good for not you. Not special editions, not coloured vinyls, just the, the basic album. And as the years have gone by... Um, let me give you the, the first time I knew I was onto something. Um, my, my baby brother, he's 10 years younger than me, who does broadcasting for a living, who has exactly the same voice. Yeah. He does sports broadcasting for a living over in Ireland. Um, he's very similar to me, except he's got no edge to him. He's a very nice man all the time. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he's 10 years younger than me. And it, it, absolutely, when I was just in the music business, in the music press, he was obsessed with you two and Echo and the Bunnymen. That's yeah. what you're supposed to be obsessed with when you're a teenage boy. Then one day... But he plucks up the courage to say to him, do you, do you know, uh, came over in my flat, do you know a band called Television? So I st- I did, I, I, we did not break eye contact. I reached up behind me without looking <laughs> and pulled out Marky Moon and one of my 32 copies, maybe the first one I ever gave away again, wow. handed it to him. He got it, a hold of it. And I set my watch. Yeah. And about three weeks later, he's at the front door again. He sits down again. Again, forget, forget, remember he's 14, 15. Yeah. He says to me, I like that, t- that television record, yeah. So good, yeah, yeah. He said, have you ever heard of the Velvet Underground? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's making the exact yeah, journey that everyone yeah. makes. You reach back, you, yeah. I, I tell you what, I only have the, the original copy with, the rev- with Nick Kent's review on the, yeah. on the inner sleeve. I still have that, and people have gradually said, I've given away copies of Marquee Moon. So the, the finding of music and the collecting of it is for all kinds of weird and wonderful yeah. reasons, whether it's people blowing smoke out their nostrils or the fact that you, for some reason, find yourself with over 30 copies of Marquee Moon. I've got so many things going in my head I want to ask you. Write them you, all down. No, I'm good. I'm, I will do. Hang on a minute. Uh, uh, but have you, you talk about the 35 copies mm. of um, uh, uh, Marquee Moon. Yeah. Have you seen that? I think it's a Japanese guy, and he, he travels around the world with it. He's, he, he opens up like a record shop. But all that is in the shop are copies of the White Album. Have you seen that? Uh, I, I, and he has the racks are full of the White Album. The walls are covered, and it's just it's just white, and it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I presume this is because there's such a market for them getting the lower numbers. Yeah, they're all numbered and all yeah. the rest of it. Um, I'll give you a quick uh, story about the White Album, if I may. Below the brother who uh, does all, I got another one, Uh-oh. a sister. Yeah, she's 17 years younger than me. Proper what? Irish family. Wowzers. I'm the oldest. She's the youngest. Uh, yeah. She's an accountant. Um, and I lo- it's, it's odd, Ian. I thought, because I was just going off to college when she was born, and I really reg- I really felt bad about this. I thought, ah, oh, this is a shame. Um, there's, a, there's now the seven of us, but she is going to think I'm her uncle because yeah. I just come back um, once every three months from the Midlands. And, you know, and I thought, it was gonna be, as it, you've probably done it a million times on this show, it turns out that blood is much thicker than water. She and I could not be any tighter. If really? We, we, are, we are linked in some extraordinary way. Isn't that incredible? We, she, doesn't like, she, doesn't have, she doesn't have a single record. Uh, I do what I do, and she's an accountant. Yeah. But we, we adore each other. So anyway, that's the... But I'm at home, and uh, she's, you know, seven years of age, whatever, and she's just starting to get, A, cognizant of the real world, yeah. and B, um, that I have some pretty weird, th- she would think, pretty weird things going on. So I've got the White Album out. I'm about to play um, the difficult third side of the White <laughs> Album, and, uh, and <laughs> I, I spread it all out on the, on the table. I, I'm at home at this time, so I must have been, a, you know, during term time, or so, uh, not during term time. And it's those four photographs of yeah. the band. Yeah. And she walks over, and it was a moment where I thought, you know how deep we think the culture goes, and we know how we all think there's, there are certain things everybody knows. She, went, mm, she said, wings. 
She she had recognised Paul McCartney. Wow. wow! Not Beatles. Oh, she said, Wings, <laughs> trying to impress me. And but she did, it made an impression, because yeah. here I am, 30, yeah. 40 years later, repeating the conversation. I love Paul McCartney, and I was one of those ones that not McCartney, because it was in the sort of 90s, because it was easy to, but... I I think his albums he's done this century, Memory Almost Full, is a brilliant album. It's a brilliant album. It's got humour, it's got, it's moving, it's got, it, it, it quite often his, his later albums now, he always does a little nod to the Beatles. You kind of, uh, I was, I was there, I know what happened, up yeah. yours. We kind of know, Paul, we yeah. do know, yeah. <laughs> but I like that about him, I like that. No, why shouldn't he be let on yeah. the in the Beatles? Why should he yeah. not? Um, and if you compare his behaviour to that Ringo Starr, yeah. And that amazing announcement about was about four <laughs> years ago. I will no longer be answering any fan mail from the big. Yeah, any Pe- peace and love, peace and uh, love. Uh, but the fact that he probably hadn't received any email <laughs> and any, any fan mail for about thirty years. And B, why would you announce that? Yeah. I mean, put it in the bin, man, and yeah. ju- just leave it. Why did you announce? I it? Um, uh, the only Beatle I've ever met was was Ringo, and I got I interviewed him, and um, it was it was brilliant, and I, yeah. I was thrilled, you, you know, because it be, was a yeah. Beatle, and I and I love him, and I was there, and we were, we were chatting for a bit. And at the end, I pulled out a copy of the White Album and a Sharpie, and I said, look, I've got to ask you, would you sign it for me? And he said, no, I can't. And I was there with the pen, and he said, no, I, ca- I can't sign it for you, man. And he was lovely about it, and he was, it was funny, and we laughed. And but it was why? Cool. I don't know, particularly when it was there. It was there. For, I you'd wasn't going to sell it. You'd but precisely, he'd yeah. been with you for the last hour and a half, he, yeah. or half hour, whatever it was. He must know that you're not going straight yeah. to eBay to flog it. Oh, it was gonna go, I was going to go and show it to my mum and then get it framed and put it on the wall. I knew he wouldn't sign it, but I did think, oh, that's a bit, well, it's a bit miserable. And where do you stand about signatures on things like the White Album? Oh, God, yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. One of my most treasured uh, possessions is um, a Frank Sidebottom 10-inch signed by Bernard Breslau. I I was was in London, and I bought a Frank Sidebottom record, big fan of Frank, and I saw Bernard Breslau walking down. There's no other way to be, (laughs) let's be honest. And I saw Bernard Breslau. Tim Yeah. You didn't know I couldn't sing. Well, now you do know I can't sing. Well, I've heard the rumours. And Bernard Breslau's walking down the street, and the only thing I've got is this Frank Sidebottom. I went, excuse me, Bernard, would you sign this? Oh, yes, of course I would. And he signed it, and and what was lovely is is, as he walked off, I was with a friend. I was a a cocky 16-year-old, otherwise known as a twat. And, yeah. and he walked down. How's that going for you? He's yeah, <laughs> paying the bills. And as he walked down the street, I thought, I just started applauding him. And what was lovely, loads of people turned around to see why two 16 year old kids were applauding. And they saw Bernard Breslau and they went, oh, yeah, yeah. And he got a round of applause as he walked down the street, just for being Bernard Breslau. Isn't that lovely? I, I, I regret, I think, I think I regret not taking albums and stuff to all the pop music interviews I did yeah. in nearly 20 years of doing it for a living. I did it very, very rarely. Um, once I decided I really would do the, the most difficult thing, I interviewed Lou Reed. Um, the most wow. difficult interview uh, you can ever do. He is, oh, he was, bless him, a genius and a horrible, horrible man to be around. Really? Yes. Um, difficult, well, I mean, maybe with journalists, difficult, yeah. um, curmudgeonly. And, you know, he'd just made the Dreller album with, with, with John Cale, which I loved. I thought this is a huge return to form. Um, and I went off to talk to him about it. We went to the hell. In those days, if you were a r- proper rock star, if you were just touring from America in a band, you stayed in. Uh, I, I will remember the name of the hotel in in sort of Notting Hill. But if you were really big, you stayed in the Halcyon. I don't even know the Halcyon no, hotel. No, I don't know the Halcyon. It's off the main drag in Notting Hill. Yeah. You know, it's just a single old, big old Edwardian house. And there are rooms. So I go and knock on the door. 
First of all, he's Thomas has come in, and it's Lou Reed. He has set it up so that I have to go through a kind of net curtain to get to him. <laughs> Now, yeah, which means, and it's also quite low, so you've got a large man. I mean, I mean I'm larger now, but I was fitter then. And I'm trying to get through this you're, net. You're I'm bowing to bow down, down to him. I'm having to bow down. You're bowing kind of, to Louise. And, and, you're, and you're, you're scraping one layer of, of netting aside, yeah. but now another one comes across, and it, oh, it was a terrible experience. <laughs> um, but, but, I will say this. I had brought with me a copy of The Bells. He's yeah. um, long lost at the time. Yes. And brilliant um lp uh the only time he'd ever been honest i think in a, a record there are two songs on there particularly um families of which um he he talks he sings about how his father was disappointed in him because he was supposed to take up the family business yeah. um like a good jewish boy should do and his wife did sorry his, his sister did it instead and the, the music is throbbing and jazzy and then the, the refrain is Someone tell me why people from the suburbs always have to make each other cry. And, really? you know, it's just extraordinary. Yeah. So, first of all, as I, I whip out this vinyl copy and I said, Mr. Reed, would you sign this for me? His first response is, can I have it? He said, that just doesn't turn up on vinyl anymore. Wow. Um, I, there's no copy. I said, no, I'm sorry. I ha you can't have it. I'm gonna, I'm, I need it for me. And he signed it. But then Kevin Cummins, who I was great friends at the time, a great rock photographer. Yeah. Smiths, all the Manchester bands. If you any image you have of them is Kevin's images, including the one of the Stone Roses, all covered in the in the paint. Because he, oh and I, wow, we we did it for the cover of the Enemy for an interview I did, and um, we we decided that's what we we're going to do. Yeah. Kevin's idea, and I got the great pleasure of dribbling paint all over the Stone <laughs> Roses all afternoon. Um, and I said, and here's a picture. This is my friend Kevin. He's one of the great rock photographers, and this is one of the very first pictures he ever took as a student. That's crap, I'm not signing that. Wow. And he wouldn't, that's crap, I'm not signing that. But the, it, you're, I, I take your Bernard Breslau story, and yeah. this is what it's going to be like for the next couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, about three months ago, I had the great honour here on Talk Sport, our sister station, I have a programme called My Sporting Life, where in the exact reversal of what everyone wants on radio these days, I sit down for several hours with someone and we talk about their lives. Fantastic. We don't do any 30-second clips of their, of their... We don't want quotes from them. I just want you to tell me what it was like growing up. And we've had amazing people on it. Yeah. So, Curtly Ambrose, the great West Indian fast bowler. Now, you know I know nothing about sports. Well, so you've got to fill in. Join yeah. all the docs with me. Thank Curtly you. Curtly Ambrose um, was in the, in the latter part of that team from the West Indies that dominated the world... Um, Arguably the greatest sports team ever. Okay. Because they were unbeaten for years and years and years and years. He was, he's about six foot six and he bowled very fast and he bowled very meanly and he never spoke. Part of the thing with Curtly was it, it was all glares. Right, okay. Um, now he's retired and he's only 40 years of age now um, and he's changed his personality. He's all about chat now and he has, he's in a reggae band and so, and I discovered that he loved the reggae band culture, um, who's, Album Two Sevens Clash is one of the great, um, not just reggae records, one of the great records ever made. Um, just an amazing amalgam of Joseph Hill's words and the time when Joe Gibbs's studio in Jamaica had got the beat exactly right. Yeah. And when I, at the end of a wonderful interview with Curtly, I said, I know you love, um, I know you're, you're in a reggae band and you love culture and I love culture as well. So would you sign this out? And I had Two Sevens Clash with me, the original oh. Jamaican copy. It has a yellow cover. Um, I think he was genuinely bemused, and he, to his great credit, he wrote, enjoy the great culture <laughs> on the front of it, Curtly Ambrose. <laughs> and I got one more about you know, autographs, and um, this is not the one I got, but I bought uh, an LP not long ago. 
uh, I mean, I'm in the, an age group now where I can enjoy Karl, Hauser, Karl Heinz Stockhausen, mm. the German avant-garde composer. And um, I bought a, a copy of an album which has got Stockhausen's uh, Thank You Very Much to the Orchestra written on the back, Karl Heinz Sto- uh, Stockhausen. Um, and for reasons far too complicated to go into, my partner, she had some people around, because um, she's involved with, with a literary festival, who were doing the music thing at the literary festival, and they were very snobby about music. And they were um, not impressed to meet me, even though I was hosting their blinking dinner. Yeah. Um, oh. and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. But then we came upstairs to, uh, to my room, where I was watching telly, to say goodbye. And then one of them, because these, these are classical music buffs, sees Stockhausen's signature on the record. Oh, sudden change. Oh, oh, Danny, I think I used to... Yes, you used to be on the radio. They pretend they didn't know me until they saw that. <laughs> but I do regret not getting all of those people. Yeah. Bits of retrospectively, you know... I, Long after the clash had split, and, and you know, they had shattered my teenage mind, I got the great pleasure from Word magazine, no longer with us. They said, write as many words as you want about Mick Jones, the guitar player with the clash. Yeah. Just go... Uh, so I tracked Mick down. We spent several lovely days together. He was making the Libertines LP at the time, um, Big Dog, because he's down in Albion. Mm. He was mixing that with the great Bill Price in a studio in West London. And we chatted about punk rock and all the rest. He, he's a great record collector as well. Mm. Do you know about Mick's museum, Mick Jones's museum? No, I don't. Hold that thought. Um, I'm jotting this down. Yeah, Mick's, Mick's museum. museum. Okay, thought. And um, and you know that retrospectively, uh, my favourite, the, the the hidden track on London Calling is "Train in Vain," isn't it? You know, yeah. a brilliant song, one of the few songs that Strummerlet Jones write. And, and so I've got a lovely white label promotional copy, ten inch of that from America from somewhere. And I got him to sign up. This is all retrospectively. Yeah. Mick Jones's museum. How's this show going, everyone? Oh, this, I would, that, that, how's this show going? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're doing the time of our lives here. We're spending. We've got s- some calls. You, by the way, you can call in Alan, Jonathan, Craig. <laughs> I will come to you in a bit. Yeah, I promise. So um, we're, we're having this chat, and it's two men in their fifties talking about what it was like to support, in his case, Queens Park Rangers. Yeah. Um, he was a fanatical football supporter before he suddenly. Uh, he dropped his allegiance to football for a while and put all that energy into pop music. And that, that's, I think that's a, quite a common thing for, yeah. for boys. Girls have a different way of appreciating pop music. Um, and, but he had gathered up over the years a lot of records and a lot of books yeah. and a lot of annuals, Beano annuals, Sweeney annuals, all this, and a lot of stuff from all over the world. Plunder, as they would say um, in Citizen Kane, the plunder of the earth he, yeah. had, he had with him. And he said to me, and it was... But we, and cold drinks may have been taken by this stage, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> so you know what, Dan? It's not right, is it? You've got all your stuff, and you know all the stuff you know. And, and I'm Mick Jones, and, I, and he, he's a very nice man. He, he wasn't bigging himself up. Yeah. He said, there should be a grant, shouldn't there? There should be a grant. This is before austerity, I imagine. No, that no, was in the middle of it. Um, there should be a grant. Like, I should be able to set up as a museum of Mick Jones. And I said, that is a great idea. You yeah. should get on to someone about that. About two years later... He has set up and has been paid to set up. If you look up, look up Mick Jones Museum online there, I'm doing it now. you'll see, you can go to his front room, you can go to Mick's front room and see all his stuff. Yep. Hang on. The Clash, Clash's Mick Jones opens Rock and Roll Public Library. Yep, Here we go. Which is his, all his stuff. Flipping heck. Yeah, we, you need to go there. You need to do a show from there, Ian. 
So-called Ian Lee. Oh, I'm gonna... So-called. <laughs> oh, I, I've kept everything. If it exists, it's probably there somewhere. Oh, we're gonna go and do a show from there. That's absolutely... Absolutely. Well, we need some of these callers on, We yeah. need... Let's take a quick break. Yeah. And then we, Jonathan's dropped off, so we're getting back. Craig and Alan, we'll come to you in a bit. This is, uh, The Late Night Alternative. I'm Ian Lee. Danny Kelly is here. We're on until six o'clock in the morning, by the way, guys. <laughs> I should... <laughs> I should let you know that that's happening. We're here until six, but do get your calls in. This is Talk Radio. Late night conversation Wealth losing sleep over The Late Night Alternative With Ian Lee On Talk Radio We have ways of making you talk Okay dear listener Danny Kelly is here You can call in We're just going to sit and chat Until 6 in the morning You're welcome to call in 0344 499 1000 Let's go to Jonathan first Good evening Jonathan How you doing Ian? You alright? Hey Jonathan Alright what, what would you like to say? Oh, come on, don't you remember me? Sorry? Don't you remember the Jonathan? Um, you're going to have to narrow it down just a little bit. Oh, the one you told to take the 12 steps and the rest of it, you know, all the... Oh, well, you, well, well uh, uh, you wanna, you're, you're a bit of a boozer, are you? The alcoholic Jonathan, there you go. All right, okay, yes. No, it's your boss, man. It's nice to hear your voice too. How are you doing? How's things? How's life treating you? No, no, no. Um, things have been very difficult right now. Uh-oh. But um, I don't know what's going on in the world. I'm seeing in very light. I don't know. I, I didn't expect you still to be on this radio station. So oh, that's <laughs> thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> to be honest, that's yeah, a ne- majority view. To be yes, fair, wasn't it? Ne- it was touch and go for a while. I think I might have just turned around the corner. Well, you got uh, you got a few more uh, listeners. So we got a few more that. listeners. We got people listening, which is the main thing. Why is it so hard for you at the moment, man? No, it's um, your your memory. You don't. I remember you like crucifying me and the rest of it. And you're like know. really Why, putting me down. I don't. I don't think I would have crucified you if you were struggling with alcohol. No, you did. You did. You really took the piss out of me. No, uh, I, I, I think uh, you, you, I, like, no, you... No, 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 on, no, no, you, no. You told me you put on your Twitter, you like, you really said it. No. It really, it really, no, it did. It did make an effort. You did. It, um, it no. did make me think more. Oh, I remember exactly. I remember exactly who you are. Yeah. You're, okay. I remember exactly who you are. No, I, no, I didn't. But I, I, I imagine that's how you'd remember it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I did something with my life. Right. I quit my job. Okay. And I got a new job. Right. Um, I've been Africa. I've been out there. I've been Wowzers. Zambia. Good for you. Um, I've seen it's so different out there. You know, just um, it, um, if the people remember, I, I don't know how old you are, and I think you're a little bit older than me. But um, the old colonial times, like uh, Northern Rhodesia, Southern Rhodesia. Yeah, I'm, I'm heard and, uh, a tale of it. Yes. I don't really yeah, when the the Brits used to be in control, and um, but I've never been to a place so welcoming, and it like really puts into perspective this whole thing that's gone hey, on it's with seventy like, years of since the partition of India, and I spent three months in Pakistan, and I saw you know I saw, it was twenty years ago when it was the fiftieth anniversary. Mm. Um, so yeah, the old um, the old colonialism, and uh, when, when we when we'd got our money's worth, we just kind of dropped it and ran away and said, "You guys sort this exactly, out yourselves." Exactly. Good luck. Good but luck. Now history seems to be repeating itself for this stuff that's going on in America right now. Well, I don't um, know. I don't know if the the Nazi in Charlottesville are the, are the same as British colonialism, but uh, no, it's not good. Well, no, no, it is, it, 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 I'm not saying it's about Nazism, it's about uh, white super, um, 
entitlement that um, yes. we're thinking we're better than someone else, but we're really not. Right, no. What, have you got your radio on? Oh, no, no, I'll walk away from it, I'll walk away from well, it. No, you'll, you'll, turn, you'll turn it off, please. Uh, yep, 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 okay. it's off. Lovely, right. Um, well, Jonathan, uh, I'm glad that you're still alive. No, no, just, 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 um, okay. I, I just thought, I'm like, uh... You're still on this radio station. <laughs> yeah, well, these, the, you know, the, the, the surprises can happen. But how do you think the world's going to go these days? Oh, you know, well, without <laughs> Donald Trump is actually admitted himself to being a, a fascist. Well, he's not. You know, he's, not. Before. he's not. Really? No, Donald Why Trump. No, Donald Trump. Donald Trump has not come out and said I'm a fascist. No, well, uh, it depends on what newspaper you read. Like, uh, you yeah. know, what's uh, what free newspaper does everyone get on the bus and on the train? Okay. Uh, Jonathan, I don't know where this conversation is going tonight, so I'm going to okay. very politely say, give us a call tomorrow. We'll talk about it then. Okay. Well, we can do the political stuff tomorrow. Thanks. That's fair enough. Thanks a lot. I've got a boo call on my way. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. There we go, you see. You see? You see? Well, this, is, this is... And we were talking about radio. Yeah. And I, I, this is why I love... And I, I do remember Jonathan's call, and there was, it did get a little bit tense before, but I wasn't... And tense. it's good that he's... Uh, I didn't hear the first conversation, which yeah. is why I didn't join in, but it was good to hear that he's done some things... Yeah. Um, ...to have straightened himself out, yeah, uh, yeah. which is, you know... Um, People will always disparage people uh, for whatever, it, if it's an addiction they've got, um, until you've been through it all that. I yeah. haven't, but when you oh, see I what happens I, to people... I don't, drink, I don't drink or do drugs anymore because I liked drinking and doing drugs way too much that was, was good for me, so I, I knocked it all on the head. Um, but I would never... I, Jonathan misinterpreted... I would never take the, the mickey out of someone for that because it's an illness, you know. But, but this is why I love late-night radio yes. because yeah. um, you, you, we have the luxury. We've got a three-hour show and it's literally just having a chat and people feel they can chip in and we get people that phoned up six months ago and have got problems we've got people that have just tuned in for the first time and have taken umbrage at something or are angry at the world and they want to share it it was i mean it's, it is extraordinary uh, I, I haven't done much through the night radio for one week over on talk sport um because uh, again a favor for a producer yeah. who was very kind to me uh, about something else that had happened and um i loved it actually i i wouldn't i, I for a start I did. I know how you're supposed to do late night radio. <laughs> I think I know how to do through the night radio. Yeah. But of course, I did it at the same speed as I yeah. normally do everything. Yeah. 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, really, really upset lots of people. I, I only just got into Twitter, so it's about three years ago. So exactly when I started on Twitter, and I said, all right, anyone listening to my voice, it's obvious, and I'm going to make the noise. There's my cup. There it is. Anyone who's up at this time of night listening to radio, you've got a cup of tea or coffee, send me pictures of the cup you've got, wherever you are in the world, and I'll retweet them. I didn't realise that people didn't like to see 600 <laughs> pictures of just cups yeah. in their Twitter. Well, next morning, I'd, I'd lost about half the, uh, yeah. the, the, the... I don't care about the ones who want to go. No. That's the, it's, it should be fluid. It's not, yeah. they're, not, they're not chained to the, to the, to the electronic radiator, are they, yeah. your Twitter followers? If they don't like something you do, they can go. It was absolutely lovely. And the, the only time I had really had this in any great fun... Um, you, you, because you're not a sports fan. Um, Twenty years ago, on Channel Four, when Channel Four was still daring, properly daring. Yes, I had a show called Under the Moon. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've yeah. seen bits of that. Yeah, that of means course. that either you were a student, yes. you worked in a restaurant, or you were a junkie. One of those three things. I was, that, I was two of those that three was, things. That was our audience, <laughs> and um, you know, it started eleven o'clock at night, and Channel Four were great about it. They it would end at half two. Or three o'clock, or really? half three, absolutely, depending on how it was going. That uh, is fantastic. And then you could always throw on some old sitcom or something after that. And, and oh, uh, good for them. And that was amazing because I mean, I was trying to do a phone-in on the television with yeah. all the with all the bells and whistles of a live TV program as yeah. well. 
can I tell you about the first phone in the first proper thing we ever did on it? Yeah. The show was uh, commissioned. Uh, uh, long story, too, too long a story. But the very first show that went out, Tim Clark and I were still doing it as a two-hander at the time. Yeah. Um, we had set up a an outside broadcast. England were playing Italy at football. Yeah. A big important game, and. Um, I, the, I live near the the, the great Ita- Italian church in London. Clerkenwell's the traditional centre of the Italian population yeah. in this country. Um, for instance, what do you know about the Garibaldi biscuit? Um, um, I don't know anything about the Garibaldi biscuit. Sure, well, I'll help you with that. Please. Uh, yes, because um, when Garibaldi, one of the two people along with Mazzini, who had united Italy, came to London in the early years of the, yeah. of the last century, 1900 and whatever it was, um, he was greeted by the Italian population in Clerkenwell in two ways. One, yeah. um, they baked a special biscuit for him, and that was the Garibaldi biscuit, and wow. it's the Garibaldi we know today. And two, they did, like in the starter, in, in scenes in Godfather 2, they got out all their statues and all their Catholic regalia, and they marched through the streets to greet Garibaldi. Not knowing, of course, that for Catholics to march in the street had been illegal since Cromwell. Oh, God. And they were breaking down. Nothing happened. Because <laughs> before, of course, why, why shouldn't they? It was illegal for Catholics to march in the streets of England for nearly 400 years. Yeah. And they broke that, uh, that, that rule. <laughs> Um, where was it? Oh, yes. And so the, there's a great church. You should visit it in Clerkenwell. Yeah. It's called St. Peter and St. Paul's. Um, it's now got buildings either side of it, so it, you can only, it has the frontage of a shop. Right. You go up the steps and into it, and inside it, you're in Rome. It is wow. clearly not an English church. It yeah. is an Italian church. There is lots of statuary, and it is painted gold, mm. and it's extraordinary. The church had a very famous old parish priest there, because where I grew up in Islington, there was uh, my school had no English people. If you're Catholic, there were no English people because yeah. they went to the Protestant school. You had Irish people, yeah. Italian people, and Polish people. That's yeah. what you had. Um, I knew two English kids. So I went to university. I knew two English people. They were called Thatcher and Mason. We had two of those in, in the <laughs> class, Thatcher and Mason. And um, so I said, "What would be a great idea?" Father Russo, he's a legendary priest. He has, um, in the crypt there, they have a massive social club, and they'll definitely be watching the game. Mm. Um, and then after the game, we'll go down there, and we'll talk to Italian people about how it went. This was our first ever broadcast. So it's all set up. They did a rehearsal with some, um, you know, some, some runner in front of the thing uh, in, down in the, in the basement. And at 9 o'clock at night, this is all very well, working very well. So here we are. I think it's the first ever Under the Moon. Big news show. I've not done any down-the-barrel work really before one or two things on Channel 4, but really this is the first one. Everyone is uh, very tense and excited. And on, and I say, so far, there he is in screen. There he is. Father Russo, fantastic game of football. How do you think it went? Suddenly he realises he is stood in front of the bar. There's a bar <laughs> in, the, in the church, right? And there's all these optics behind him. And yeah. I can see his eyes flicking. And he realises this is probably not as appropriate as it might be yeah. for a senior priest in the Catholic Church in, in England. And his response was to pretend that he didn't speak English. <laughs> so, oh, no! Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry. So I said, Fantastic. great game of football, Father Russo. Did your people enjoy it? Have you had a brilliant night? He shakes his head on live television. Oh, God. He looks at the optics out the corner. He started to edge across away from the bar now as well. And I think the camera had been set up. Yeah. We didn't have a handheld or a moving camera. Yeah. He's now disappearing out of the oh, shot. Oh, beautiful. Speaking of, no, speaking of English while getting out of the shot. <laughs> 
Um, that was that was a bad start. I don't know why. How did we get on to that? I don't know, but I love the idea because I wanted to. Oh, this... late night radio, of course. Yeah, yeah let it go where it wants to go. I wanted this show. I'd love this show. That, that it, you know, we kind of say we're, we're probably going to finish about one. Yeah. But if it's going well, we might do another hour or. So. I'd love to have that freedom, and you don't get that anywhere. It was a, it was a compromise because um, after about. Um, half a year yeah. of Under the Moon, uh, it had a lot of legal problems. A lot of people were saying a lot of things on television. Now, um, you might get away with it. You won't get away with anything these days because no. of the internet, but uh, um, we were getting away with some things. And, of course, one what, of the... libelous? They've been libelous. Yes. Yeah. And uh, don't forget as well, we were there for many hours, and I had four sports people on the bench with me all the yeah. time. And w- they were drinking copiously. Those right, who wanted okay, it. Yeah. Phil Tufnell, um, we, we literally lashed is the only word I can use well, yeah, uh, so. for his performance there. Um, and so things were getting a bit out of hand. So they did that brilliant thing when they said, well, you can end whenever you feel you want to. You know, once you get past half past two, because it's supposed to be through the night, really, you know. Um, but the compromise was that they they'd moved the lawyer. She was a very imposing woman. They moved her into the gallery. She couldn't go home at night. She had to stay <laughs> for, the, for the live output of the show, which I thought was very harsh on her. Channel 4, you're right. A, a lot of a reason that a lot of the shows now aren't as freeform as that and aren't, aren't as, in inverted commas, dangerous is partly, partly probably because of your show, partly because of the 11 o'clock show, the show I did, because yeah. we, we, we were so rude and so mean and upset so many people that they, they literally changed and the, the word, laws. And, and, uh, and the, the word, yeah, yeah there was the, a whole the, kind of thing. At the end of the 90s, early 2000s, thousands yeah. um and they they just tightened all the rules yeah, so you can't you can't do any of that stuff now i mean channel four channel four is weird i don't watch tv much nowadays because i don't i don't really enjoy tv i watch stuff with the kids but the most shocking th- th- thing that i saw on channel four was that horrible dating show where everyone's naked Naked in the dark, is it called something like no, that? No, no. Oh, no, they were, oh, they were in the, 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 the dating in the dark. There's, That's, there's yeah. people, and there, there's, there's like a woman, and she's clothed, and there'll be four yeah. men, and they're stood in sort of tubes, and they're frosted glass, <laughs> and then the tube rises up, and you see their now, dicks. You're absolutely sure that this is a TV programme, not a dream you're <laughs> having, is, yeah? This is the t- actual, because we had a, we had a pre-record the other week with Chaz from Chaz and Dave, so me and Kath went Great and watched man, it. of course. The Hodges, what Chaz a man. Chaz and Dave, well, his, um, uh, I'm friends with his son-in-law, Paul Garner, who's a, who's a brilliant comic writer and for ages i'm saying i'd love to get chaz on the show you know and uh, and we and, you know, obviously chaz got ill with cancer and all that stuff so it kept and he's doing off. great now thankfully he's doing yeah. brilliantly. touch wood yeah oh uh, well i went round uh, uh, t- about two weeks ago and i had an hour with him i brought a ukulele he brought a banjo and there was a piano in the room it was just them and th- th- i mean he, he was telling he's telling me stories about working with joe meek but he's describing in great detail joe meek's living room where all those wonderful records were made and it's it was you know talking about um being in jerry lee lewis's band and um how jerry lee lewis was very standoffish with him this until he the- said oh this is really circling around beautifully um, yeah. i've been having um all through the summer i've been doing a saturday evening show on TalkSport with Simon Jordan, the former Crystal Palace right. owner, who of course paid for and made the film about Joe Meek. He made Telstar. Uh, right, and, okay, and Nick, yeah. Mor- Nick Moran was yeah. in, who played Joe Meek. It was just great. It was really uh, fun. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's saying about how Jerry Lee Lewis was very cold with him until one morning he said, hey, uh, Jerry Lee, that, um, that that B-side to that single, that doesn't sound like you on the piano. It's in an E and that's not your key. That's oh. not your... And Jerry Lee Lewis was like, 
Wow, you recognised that wasn't my... And instantly became best friends. And he said, we've got, we got plenty of time. No, no, good. I've got, cause I've got uh, many, uh, one, many more things to add to this. Go on. Uh, one more thing. Afterwards, we didn't even get on to the Beatles, uh, but afterwards, we finished recording. We are just chatting and having a cup of tea. And he was telling me about, in 1979, he was a guest at Eric Clapton's wedding, and obviously loads of musicians and, and instruments, and he got up, and Chaz was playing the piano. On drums was Ringo Starr, guitar was George Harrison, and on bass was Paul McCartney. He was John Lennon for an afternoon. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Joe Meek Studio in Holloway yep. Road. Yep. Um, I went to school in Highgate. Um, for those of you who know the Suicide Bridge. Yes, um, yes, yes. I used uh, to live around there. Yeah. yeah, there's a bridge across the Archway Road. It's exactly 99 feet above the surface of the road. Yeah, and um, it's called Suicide Bridge by everyone because tragically people have used it to 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 end their lives they jump off the suicide bridge my school is literally to one side of that it's a catholic uh, oh, formerly no, yeah. saint aloysius there yeah. red red blazers um and uh, uh the we so to get from islington to there you know 104 bus 43 bus or 271 bus all of them go up the holloway road yeah. all of them pass joe meek studio so i'm 11 when i first go there nothing 12 nothing 13 nothing 14 i'm suddenly obsessed with music <laughs> and i now know that we're passing um, and of course you're at the right height because it was on the first floor wasn't it yeah. rather than on, on, yeah. right on the ground floor that was an umbrella um emporia of some kind i seem to recall so now i'm on the bus hoping the traffic lights will stop us so i can peer into the room <laughs> to see if there's any sign of joe meek but Chaz. Um, he, of course, was one of the bands. I think it might have been one of the bands he did with Joe Meek, but he was in a band called The Outlaws. Yeah. And one of my favourite ever photographs of a, of a band from the 60s is The Outlaws. There's four of them. They're on some railway line and they're jumping in the air in the style of, you know, you, you're, oh, you're, you're, style. you're obsessed with the monkeys, you'll know the exact yeah. shot I'm talking about. And you look along the line, and Chaz Hodges, it turns out, is only the, mo- the second most famous and the second most successful person in that band. Because far right. Holding a, an acoustic guitar, oddly enough, is Richie Blackmore. Oh, wow, right. yeah, Richie yeah. Blackmore was in the band with him. Yeah. Richie Blackmore, for the children listening, went on to be in a band called Deep Purple, who were the the most successful heavy metal band in the world. Their first four records are all just shatteringly brilliant. Yeah. Um, and he is shatteringly bonkers. Properly strange, Richie. Now, I'll come back to what he did in the meantime. Right now... He, he refuses to take. He did do a, he did do a, 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 a revival tour of Rainbow, the band he was in after. Mm. But he won't do Deep Purple for various reasons, right? Um, <laughs> but his main band now, he is in a kind of medieval madrigal band. Of course, he is. Yeah, yeah. Logical. Progression. He's married a much younger woman, yeah. and she's a kind of uh, mystic witchy type Druid lady. Druid S. Very yeah. good. Yes. So Richie now walks about his compound, wherever it is, somewhere in leafier parts of England, with a massive wizard's hat on. Um, he's still Richie. He's still the Blackmore. Don't worry about that. He's still the Blackmore. Um, but he's got a massive. Look him up there. Look up Richie Blackmore and whatever his band is called now. Meanwhile, yes. uh, meanwhile, Ian. Yeah. Um, go I, I got told uh, I didn't work for Kerrang, the heavy metal magazine, but I had many friends who worked on Kerrang over the years, and there was a football match. Deep Purple. Um, had their own five-a-side football team, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at yeah, Richie Yeah, of course, yeah, you'll, find, you'll find his hat. So, Richie Blackmore, I can't remember the oh, Dark Knight. Black, Blackmore's Knight. That's it. Now, if you put in Blackmore's Knight, you'll see his, his big witch's hat. Well, uh, they're, they're, well, he's got a he's got a hat on at all there. That, that's the lady wife, yeah. He's got um, a guitar and he's also got a mandolin at the same time. Yeah, that's, um... on one on one instrument. You'll, if, you, if you look in, uh, put in the name of the band, you'll find his big hat. Yeah. So anyway, he's got the the, the metal the metal magazine Kerrang is playing football against Deep Purple's Five Aside team. This is when Deep Purple are 
the biggest band yeah. uh, in Britain. Probably the biggest band in the world, except for Led Zeppelin at that time. My mate uh, was playing against them. He said, Blackmore, very, very... There's his hat, it's making you laugh. Yeah, yeah. Blackmore was brilliant, he said. They're playing five-a-side, and football, you know, musicians love football often, and uh, yeah. they're playing the five-a-side. One thing about it, though, Richie <laughs> liked a fag, and so the game would go on, and Richie would go off to have a fag every now and then. That's yeah. nice. But he had his own personal substitute. There was a bloke whose only job oh, was to come wow. on and replace Richie Blackmore on the five-a-side. Oh, God. While he, had it, while he had a tab, and then he would put, finish that, and then... Signal to his his, his factotum, his boy. That's he would wonderful. come off. He had his own personal. That is yeah. wonderful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Shall we take a call? Yeah. We've why don't got, you do let's, that? Um, let's go to uh, Craig. Hello, Craig. Evening, Ian. So, Evening, Danny. Hello, Craig. What you got for us, boss? I mean, I basically love Danny's work. Oh well, that's very nice of you to say. I've 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 done as best I can over the years. I used to love Under the Moon. It was brilliant. Nice thank you, stuff. thank you. But to find out you were not only wrote enemy stuff, but uh, editor of it at the time I was reading it, it's amazing. Thank you very much. You're very kind. Um, I even I used to watch the VSPO show with you and Danny. Uh huh. I even watched the episode when they had the live match on in the World Cup on the other side. Yeah, but that, that that shows commitment. I like you. You're a stalker, Craig. Mm. No, no, he's not. He's proper hardcore. <laughs> I like Craig. I'm not even in that much into sports. But no. Like well, to be fair, that show wasn't much about sport, if, it, if it, to be true. Well, you know, with the toast of addictions and all that. Ah. Well, actually, one of my favourite things about sports is when there's a delayed match and they have to fill. I think it's yeah. really calming in the time when they're trying to fill in on the table. See, I don't like football, right? And I've been to one football match, Luton versus Millwall. Oh, it's Luton. That's not a good choice. It was <laughs> very tense. Very, very... <laughs> there were some really angry people there. It was very tense, and that was nothing to do with the football, no, was it? No, God <laughs> almighty. It was, um, the, the, um, the Millwall fans were shouting to Luton, um, to the tune of Where's Your Mama Gone? Where's Your Taliban? Because there was some... Asian you know, town, yes. yeah. And Luton were chanting something equally as, as racially offensive you, to them. This was, this was at Kenilworth Road in Luton, yeah? Yeah, Because yeah. this is off the back of one of the most notorious riots in English football ever. Right. Happened well, on that ground. Did it? Where the Millwall fans literally tore the ground up and used the seats to attack... Oh, God. Uh, ...the Luton fans with. Um, again, because uh, 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 the world is full of connections, and I... And yeah. I what's, what's Gates' line? The world's so full of dreaming, and... Um, there used to be a lady who used to uh, be the engineer on my show on TalkSport for many, yeah. many years. She's left now to have her own family. Um, she was at that match inside her mum's tummy. <laughs> her mother is a Luton fan and was at that game, heavily pregnant, oh, God. with Sal inside her. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That's the only football match I've been to. But there is nothing that will get me to sleep better than the chanting of a football crowd. Because I used to, you know, on, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd, I'd lie on the sofa on a Saturday afternoon with Match of the Day on or World of Sport, wherever it was. Yeah. And you, just that, that sort of... That sound from the crowd of a football stadium, there's something very comforting about it. Well, that's that, that's that music thing again, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, we, uh, uh, if you asked me what, what the thing I, of all the mad, incredible things that I love about music, I still think the most basic thing that I love is harmony singing. Yeah. Whether it's a three-part harmony, Crosby, Stills and Nash, whatever, um, or some of these Jamaican three-part harmony bands who are stealing their, their sound from the Impressions, Curtis Mayfield's old group, 
Or, and I've really discovered this, do you know what sacred harp singing is? No, 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 no. Um, it's really fashionable now in America, but it's, it's the... It's the 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 equivalent of gospel singing, but for white people who can't sing. Oh, um, wow! There's a book. The, 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 they laid down a thing. That sacred said, harp. Sacred harp, and um, the book is called the Sacred Harp Hymn Book. And what it did was it arranged the congregations in southern white churches yeah. into four blocks of people over there, over there, over there, and no one could read music. So it's it's called shape singing. Because the tone, etc., some of them are represented by triangles, oh, circles, and squares. I love it. And what they do is, they enough people. If enough people sing, even if none of you sing in harmony, a, a harmony emerges. It creates it. And um, sacred harp singing is really beautiful as a result. And I get it in football crowns too. They yeah. were all droning like, oh, yeah. and after a while, it, it takes something a, it beautiful. Makes a tune. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Craig, we've got to go because you you spent so long blowing smoke up Danny's ass. Thank you for that, Craig. Very quickly, we're going to go to a break. But do, do you talking about? I remind you talking mm. about your show. You know, it would it could go on for longer or shorter? We mentioned Frank Sybottom. I, I I love Frank Sybottom. I loved him as a fifteen year old, and you know, in, in my thirties. I got to work with him, and he did a show on Channel M, where, uh, Manchester TV show. Oh, uh, we have jo- I think Johnny Miles on the very first yeah, one, wasn't yeah, it? Amazing. It's, it's just, it's a work of art. And he, Chris CV phoned me up one day, said, Ian, I've got, I've got a brilliant thing, and Channel M have said I can do it. They're going to let me do the test card all night. Oh. And he was, he did an eight hour, as Frank Sybottom, a test card. And for the first hour, he's like just this show. Sa- yeah, but for the first <laughs> hour, he's just sat there. And then, after about an hour, he starts going, Mm. And then it, and then it is a man virtually having a breakdown as he argues with little Frank, and it's for, and, for and about eight hours. What, what's that blinking film about a band going mad with 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 a Frank Sidebottom look like in it? Oh, Frank, the John yeah. Monson. Oh, yeah. what a film. brilliant film! Isn't it stunning? And every, loads of people hated it because they said well, it's not about Frank Sidebottom, no. and it's not. And it's no. not nothing, but he's there. And yeah, there's a Frank. Yeah, it was because uh, I, I thought it was beautiful. I, I went with expectations of it being uh, about Timberley yeah. and all. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was Absolutely. stunning. Written by John Ronson. Yeah. Um, Paul, stay there. We will come to you in a bit. 0344 499 This is the Late Night Alternative. Are you, are you sticking around? Are you okay? As long as you want me. Oh, mate. This is... Um, listen, you're here every night this week. Um, this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Good evening, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, uh, the Late Night Alternative. Danny Kelly is here. We're just going to sit here and, and um, chat and talk about music and talk about... We haven't, we haven't even delved into the world of magazines yet, and I want to talk about that. And you, you can call in. I, I see we've got people waiting, and I'm sorry I've not come to you. We'll make the phone calls a priority when we come back. 0344 499 1000. Uh, this is The Late Night Alternative. My name is Ian Lee. This is Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Imagine me and you. I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight. So happy together. If I should call you up, invest a dime, and you say you belong to me, and ease my mind. Imagine how the world could be. So very fine. So happy together. Me and you, and you and me, no 
matter how they toss the dice, it had to be. The only one for me is you, and you for me. So happy together. Toss the dice, it had to be. The only one for me is you, and you for me. So happy together. They toss the dice, it had to be. The only one for me is you, and you for me. So happy together, so happy together. And how is the weather? So happy together, we're happy together. So happy together. Together, here it comes. So happy together. So happy together. It's just they give. That's the turtles. They give the Beach Boys a run for their money with that. We were talking about harmony singing and yeah. uh, and how, how how beautiful, how lovely it is. And I'm glad to see it's made a huge comeback. Really, yeah. big American bands like Midlake. Obviously, the Fleet Foxes have got a new record out. Yeah, and it reminded me. You actually said something while we were listening together. We were doing we were doing old heads together there. Um, <laughs> as they were doing it, we were closing our eyes and slightly, <laughs> slightly tripping out there, slightly yeah, grooving man. out, which is the right thing to do. Um, and it reminded me of a row I'd had. Oh. Um, I was judging the album of the year for Uncut magazine, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a group of the great and the good. Myself, uh, Phil Manzanera from Roxy Music. Oh, yeah. Jo- wow. Phil was there. Of course Phil was there. Um, but uh, Linda Thompson. Um, Fairport Convention. Ma- married to uh, Richard Thompson, Richard Thompson Fairport yes. Convention. And mother of L- Rufus Wainwright. Um, I think. No. Uh, no, that's right. I've got the wrong one. I think so, because uh, Rufus Wainwright uh, is Loudon Wainwright's th- son. Yeah. Is that his mum? I'm not, I could I probably got that wrong. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. anyway she is a very, she, she's very strict about music. She wants yeah. her opinion heard, and that's great. And I remember we got to, the, I mean, the Fleet Foxes LP, um, it, you might find it a bit sugary, perhaps, but I thought it was, the, it was the best record of the year, and yeah. I was arguing vociferously for it to be the best record of the year. And she was putting her foot down, saying, no, 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 no. And she said to me, and I remember it, and she, she won't mind, because this is absolutely true, she said, Danny, I want my folk music to be a bit more dirty. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and I like my church music this this dirty what they had done was not make a folk record they got they it was church singing yeah, yeah. as is that yeah as yeah. what we just listened to there with the fabulous turtles yeah um and that was great uh, but also a valuable lesson isn't it because mm. i would say to you and i'm looking you in the eye now because that's the first time i've heard that yeah with the musicians on it, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, I'm asking you. I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, the thing is, I love. I, I say, I'm I'm a white pop fan. Yeah. I, I, I I like loads of different genres of music, but the thing I always find myself coming back to is white pop. Now, whether whether that's um, 
The Turtles, who I think are a grossly underrated band because, you know, they were perceived as a singles band. Actually, th- th- some of their albums are incredible. Or, or whether it's something a bit uh, jerkier like XTC, you know, I, I, I think that Swindon's finest, Andy Partridge, is one of the best songwriters this country has ever had. And one of the best people on Twitter. Oh, isn't he funny? Isn't funny, he funny and difficult and all sorts of things, yeah. He, I, I've had, I, I love Andy. And I, Ooh, I, let's I, play the exactly game. Yeah, I taught, taught him a game before we started. Yes. When I used to be hanging out with the people from Creation, I yeah. think it was Alan McGee, uh, if you said something that was not the perceived piece of wisdom, like you might say, in fact, George Best wasn't the best player in that Manchester United team that won the European Cup. It was, and you'd say Paddy Crair, and he'd exactly. go, he would go, exactly. Because yeah. you'd, 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 you'd gone through the veil of perceived public opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play the game with you now. What's the best XTC album? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, the, the best XTC album, the one that I keep going back to is um 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 mama okay so you know we were i, I said no that's all right yeah of course mama's lovely but yeah. so is drums and wires lovely yeah but surely it's english settlement and then you'll go exactly i cannot do that why i cannot do you that you don't like english settlement I, no 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 i didn't say that not at all oh. tables are going over in here not now. at yeah. all i love english two settlement. big men fighting on on, on periscope <sighs> that's what you want to see i love english settlement yeah. i just find some of the themes a little heavy-handed in their delivery and, no thugs in our house and do you know do you know what that's about because they're not my favorite band and they, they you clearly love them yeah so you you would know their better records better than me i am um, uh, i know andy a little bit i once went to his house and i stayed there for eight hours because i'm socially awkward and i didn't know how to get out and so he's never invited me since but every now and then he um he'll he'll phone me up or he'll, he'll send me an email saying this is good saying um like late night email are you awake i say yeah he said can i phone you I said, yeah, yeah yeah and he phones up and he's a bit pissed and he said um he might phone now he might do i love him so much he said uh listen because he's a big monkeys fan yes. as well um he bought his first ever cassette recorder reel to reel by winning a, a competition in monkeys monthly drawing a picture of mickey dolan's he said um can i tell you something you mustn't he said uh, the, the monkeys are doing a new album and they've They've asked me to write some songs, and I've written seven songs for it. Now, can I send you over the demos? I'm like, what? My, one of my favourite songwriters is going to send me the demos he's written for my favourite band? And he did, and this was about midnight. And he sent over these demos, and he's on the phone as I'm playing them on my computer. He's going, right, this one, I've written this one for Nesmith, and this is what I think it should be. And it was just, it's one of those things where I'm sat there going, 15-year-old me can now die very, very happy. I love XTC. I, yeah. I just think they're such a good band, but... Um, his his slight um, contrariness, yeah, but that, but has that, held him back. Yes and no, isn't isn't that one of the great things about um, pop music? If yeah. you've been, you know been into it my whole life, I guess. Yeah, certainly since the age of thirteen, um, is that the people who it's practitioners. I work here on TalkSport. I've yeah. made my living. I've been very lucky. I like three things in the world. I like a lot of things, but the three things I love are popular music, sport. And history. And I've yeah. made my living out of two of them. So I'm a very, very lucky man. Privileged is the, the modern world. Just lucky. Yes. Um, and, you know, the... Uh, I've forgotten where I was going with that. Um, just just the oh, no, of course, yeah, yeah, No, 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 yeah, of course. And here, we, you know, we get the occasional difficult sports star. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm currently working, for instance, with someone whose public image is very, very different. Jo- Joey Barton, a man who's been the president and all sorts of things yeah. going with him. And I've been... We just started our shows Mondays regularly on, on TalkSport. First one was yesterday... It was fantastic, yeah. but, but
But um, they, I, they don't know they're born, the young kids. Really, oh, he's quite difficult, isn't he, that cricketer? He's quite... No, you have to do 20 years with the pop press yeah. to, to know. But it's their eccentricity. Yeah. The fact that their minds are wired to make music, not to be any good at shaking hands. Oh, no, of course. Um, well, let, me, let me find an example. I don't know. The great, um, the great reggae producer, Lee Perry, who is my, would be my greatest uh, music This is artist. what I was going to ask you an hour ago, yeah. that, that when you mentioned reggae. Mm. I was going to ask if you had any Lee Scratch Perry stories. Um, well, I have. Um, ask me how many Lee, Par- Lee Perry related 45s I own. Go on, how many have you got? 1,500. What the heck? Every, every, now, Bloody it's hell, It's Jamaican. Danny. It doesn't say produced by Lee Perry on them. Yeah. They're done in his studio. You can hear his hands in the mixing. Yeah. All the rest of it. You can hear it. his smoke in the machines you, when they break down. That was... And he blows the smoke. And yeah. Paul McCartney was so in love with his sound that he went there uh, to try and make music with Lee Perry. It was impossible. Yeah. It's in uh, his studio. The Black Ark was a centre of all kinds of madness in Jamaica. The, one tiny thing came out. I think the song is called Seaside Woman on Mrs. McCartney. But Linda yes. McCartney's record, you can hear the Black Ark sound. Um, Robert Palmer went there when he tried. Perry eventually had to. Uh, he smashed up his studio and set fire to it. Yeah. Because um, he was going through an insanity of uh, alcohol abuse, drugs, and all the rest of it. Um, he he later was given some Dutch people uh, you know, before crowdfunding. They said, "Look, we've raised this money for you to rebuild the Black Ark because it's in his home. It's in his home." Yeah. Um, he goes back to Jamaica because he believes in all kinds of fantastically weird things. Lee Perry. Um, and all he does with the money, he uses the money to go back to his house and dig a large hole in what was the studio, fill it with water and put ducks in it. Oh, he made a duck I pond. I love it. I love it. So he eventually, he, he, before he met his wonderful current wife, Marielle, a Swiss woman with a lot of money who has taken to take him under her wing. He's 80 years of age, Lee Perry, now. He is fitter than you. Yeah, I bet. He's an incredibly fit man. Um, and thanks to Muriel, he's living at the high life. So the time comes. It's the piece that made me a rock journalist. I was, you know, I was a stringer. And they said, you know about this reggae thing. We wanted to go and do Lee Perry. And they wanted the whole story of what happened when he smashed up and set fire to the studio and all the rest of it. So I had to go to a record shop in Harlesden called Seven Leaves. Um marijuana comes yep. up again yep. seven leaves and i went in there and they were supposed to be meeting him there because he had a record coming out on seven leaves a minor record a minor label and they said well we have to wait for him he'll come when he wants to come and i was with Derek ridges the photographer and we sat we stood in the shop for an hour or two and then it got a bit embarrassing two very tall white blokes <laughs> in a shop full of uh, others and i said well we wait outside across the road in the car we waited we waited he didn't turn up but i was desperate because they say he will come he will come <laughs> Derek goes home and gets some sleep. I stay in the car. Then yeah. Derek comes back. I go home and get sleep. Come back. We're now now we've been outside this this this, this shop in Harlesden for about thirty six hours. Wow. Eventually, a tiny little man comes banging up the street. That's Lee Perry. He goes into the shop. What's he got with him? What was that bag? As we come into the shop, he has a massive handheld camera on his shoulder as he as he p- appears to be filming us and the, and the whole the whole adventure. Um, it turns out later there's no film in this tour. It's just something he's got with him that he does. Oh, we then go out in the street and said, so what I'd like to do, Lee, is go to a pub's pub and we'll, um, we'll, we'll do the interview. And he's, he's, and he's speaking the widest Jamaican patois mm. about which more in a second. We get out in the street. It's been recently raining. It's London. And he suddenly, because he sees the world through better eyes and ears than you or I, you know when you get petrol on a wet floor, yeah. it makes that kind of... And he said, ah, a rainbow, he says. And then, what is he at this time? Mid-50s, nearly coming up 60, I guess. Mid-50s, I would have guessed. He 
stands on his hands in the middle of this puddle of petrol, spreads his legs out wide like a tree, and uh, photos now, photos now, he's shouting. <laughs> we have the photographs and that piece of him standing. Anyway, yeah. eventually we get to the pub. And now, um, I'm, Derek's gone home. Um, I'm sat in the pub with him. What would you like, Mr. Perry? Uh, a Guinness. And, and now, um, I'm asking him questions. And rock, rock interviews are very difficult, Ian, because they are, they don't care what you think. As long as you say their new record yeah. is great, they don't care. Yeah. He's got a book about Marcus Garvey, the Jamaican, um, political figure and prophet of, of going back to Africa, the Black Star Liners and all the rest of that. And he's got a pen. And I will say, okay, so, uh, and I'm very nervous. I, I'm still, as I say, making my way in the business. And I say, so you worked with Bob Marley and the Whalers. You, in fact, invented the sound that eventually takes them out into the world. He draws a line with a pen from bottom left of one page of the Marcus Garvey, but I'm doing it now, up to top right. And then he writes, Whalers in capital letters, and stares at it for a while. Then he starts speaking to me in the widest possible patois, so I can't get into it. Then I say, okay, I, I haven't got a word. I've got all done. I've got not got a word. And I say, yeah, and because um, <laughs> I think those records in about 1969, long before they signed to Ireland from the way, they really spoke to the West Indian diaspora. Line, bottom left, top right, writes diaspora on the next page of the book and <laughs> speaks to me again in, in, in absolutely untranslatable patch. Well, I'm pretty used to Jamaican accents yeah. where I grew up and from the music I was listening to. And in the end, I had to pull myself up to my full six foot two and I said, this is not working, is it? <laughs> I'm really sorry. I can't understand a word you're saying, oh. and yet I've, I know you speak perfectly good English. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, all I'm going to do is I'm going to buy you another pint of Guinness, I'm going to leave it on there, and we're going to leave this. And he just said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, old boy. Not, not quite like that, but some, something like He's testing me. And now they all do it. Oh. And, and uh, you know... Well you done know. for calling him out, though, because that's oh. a bold thing to do. I wasn't 21. I was 28. I was late coming to this. I was right. a grown man. Right. And, I, and, and, you know, it, it, eventually you've got, you've got some molecule of pride has to remain as a human being. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, so you, you, uh, what was wonderful to say is you meet all these people. Their brain are not really creative people i'm a creative you're a creative yeah. but when you meet these people who are geniuses they're mine oh, they're on a different they're level. not bothered about what day-to-day uh, -day yeah. business of things um at the other end of the scale you just come across people sometimes whose ordinariness i had an extraordinary uh, event in a very very ordinary way mm. um i reviewed wham one of wham's records and I really, I mean, quite rightly, I got it, I put it on the floor, took it out of the car park, and I kicked the living crap out of it. Mm. Um, and I was very excited so to do. <laughs> and sometime, and George Michael took a gimme after this, because the enemy was a big thing. And George a real music fan. He wanted to be big in the enemy, and he wasn't. Yeah. We were just taking the mickey out of them all the time, after the initial burst of, you know, Club 1820 and all the rest of it. Yes. And eventually, the enemy gets a phone call. And it's George Michael. Oh, I don't take the phone call. Yeah. The editor's secretary, a wonderful lady called Kathy Kelly, no relation, takes the phone call and says, it's George Michael, who's now become, he's now a very big pop star. They've mm. split. Um, Andy Ridgely's gone and had his nose job, pretended he's had a car crash, all that stuff. And um, he says, George Michael is over at Sam West. He wants to do the enemy now. Now, I didn't realise at the time, of course, that he had a reason for wanting to do the enemy now. And he said, he wants you to do it. You're the one who's led the charge saying how terrible Wham are and how useless they are. He wants you to do it. Summoned by Michael. Wow. Yes. So, all right, I'm I'm up for that. Off we go. Uh, Sam West was then. Uh, if you didn't do, if you didn't record it at uh, at EMI, the Beatles studio. You'd do it at a place called Sam West, really big, yeah, plush place. And George got there, and he could not have been more lovely to me. But I didn't know he was armed. 
he was armed and i'll tell you why in a minute and he said to danny uh, obviously we've had our differences but can i make you a cup of tea at least make them so george michael then number one pop star in the country is making me a cup of tea now emma your uh, producer just made me a cup of tea yeah. and it's very nice and i've got it here george michael makes a delicious cup of tea of course he's from catering stock isn't he yes his yes. family have restaurants he yeah. knows how to make a cup of tea and then we go into the studio and there there's a piano and there's george michael and there's a tape machine and there's two speakers i would say the size of most people's houses yeah yeah if you've got a, a semi-detached house in london the two speakers that big and he says right the things you've said about me in the past i really am hurt but now i've got this and i was the first person to hear the final final mix down of careless whisper wow which i don't care what you think about pop music, soul music, reggae, jazz is clearly a quite extraordinary yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. And he waited till he knew he'd got the perfect thing. <laughs> and he had my, f- and he waited for me. And I loved that. The fact that he, he held, it was a grudge and he held it. I, I will write the perfect song and then I will show. And I had my cup you of tea. You inspired a great piece of art. Oh, I don't think that. Come I on. don't think for one minute. That's very nice of you to say. I don't think so. And it, it grew, it, you know the way it billows out. A guilty feet have got no rhythm. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if, if, if a whole and Dozier Holland, if Elvis, Elvis Costello had written that, um, if the Arctic Monkeys had written it, yeah. if Alex had written it, we'd always say, oh, genius, genius, but it was George Michael. Yeah. But, but Guilty Feet have got no rhythm. That's oh, a great line. Blared out, blared out, just wonderful. I um, I used to be a music snob, which is weird, because when I was, you know, in, when I was 13, 14, I was digging the monkeys and the kinks and everyone else was... You mm-hmm. mentioned the, the fall earlier on. Yeah. I don't... I'm not that familiar with them, but I find Marky Smith absolutely fascinating as one of one of rock's great eccentrics you know and there's a brilliant there's an article it might be it might have been in uncut uncut magazine or um another magazine i was reading recently um where he's interviewed and he's just he, he he's just sounds fascinating of course i know hit the north and you yeah. know the the big ones but it is it, i've got these big gaps in my musical knowledge you haven't because the fall make the same tune over and over and over again. And that's what's so. If you know one, yeah, you know all. Oh, really? Sometimes there's a bit more grunge. Yeah. Sometimes they'll they'll be a little bit more rockabilly. Yeah. Trust me. Um. Again, it's one of the things I adore about musicians. Though there's a group of them who have their own universe, and I mean this in two ways. Mm. James Brown had his own universe. Mm. All his songs just sound like James Brown. He had a musical universe. Yeah. Then you get people like George Clinton, who have this mythology where they have the three or four, they had four bands, five bands going at one stage, all of whose stories about if you lie and fake the funk, your nose will grow, mm. um, and the cartoons that went with it. They invent their own worlds. Marky Smith is another one. He has a furrow. It's yeah. his own universe, and you can hate it. Or you can like it, but, you know, he doesn't really care. Yeah. And he's going to go to his grave. He's been rude to me as well, that fella. Has he? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll tell you about that in a second. He, um, uh, and, but he is so brilliant with the English language, and I, and I love words. When yeah. You mentioned the kinks there. Um, I love words, people who can play with words. And he's been doing the same thing. And you, if you know Hit the North, you know all the songs. Okay. Because Hit the North sounds just like, you know, this time of year there's a song called British People in Hot Weather. And it's almost exactly the same. <laughs> he's going to sit on trains reading Marx. And in the way, he doesn't sing. He talks these yeah. things out. Um, he's a funny man because he's a real proper curmudgeon. Yeah. Let's not pretend, oh, he's, yeah, yeah, let's not pretend he's a good guy. Yeah. He's not a, he can be a, an absolute ass, yeah. to use the, uh, the Americanism. Um, it was John Peel's 50th birthday. And there was a special party somewhere in London, and his b- favourite bands were playing. The Wedding Present played, um, Nick Cave played, wow. uh, Shane McGowan did a set, and The Fall did a set. Mm. And um, 
Mark, of course, has taken a lot of amphetamines and drinks a lot, and he's very, very thin, mm. very thin. I was going the other way at this stage. I'd finished my uh, storied football career on Hackney Marshes. I was out every night. I'm a journalist. I'm banging away the pop, and I'm getting bigger. So this live gig is going on. I'm, I'm loving it because I, I, I'd agreed that we were going to put the, the whole thing on the cover of The Enemy, uh, John Peel, Nick Cave, Shane McGowan, Mark Smith. Um, Ian McCulloch, they're all going to be on the cover, and I was going to write the piece. So I'm down the front, lo- loving myself. This is a private invitation to John Pales. He comes on stage, eh, you've put on a few pounds, haven't you? That's his first words out of his mouth. <laughs> but I'm going to, let me, let me just, let me go one stage further with this. Um, the enemy, when I was working there, they had a brilliant thing. They used to make charity records, and charity records that really did very well indeed. Yeah. Uh, for instance, <clears throat> we had number one single when we got a load of bands to cover um, the songs on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. And if you remember, Wet, Wet, Wet did one of the songs, I can't remember which, and it was number one oh, for like for oh. like a, a, a million years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we made a million pounds for children's charities. And yeah. it, was on, it was on, you know, was Esther Ransom. Was that the Ransom. Sgt. Pepper Knew My Father? So it's called yeah, Sgt. Yeah, Pepper Knew My yeah, Father. That, yeah. So the, 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 the weirdest thing on Sgt. Pepper Knew My Father is the fall track, yeah. where they haven't adopted the song at all. He just went, and long, no copyright law, just took the Beatles soundtrack to it and just shouted the lyrics over the top of it, right? Of the day, it's Day in the Life, is it? I, I think it is, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, there was tremendous problem with the Beatles lawyers over this, but in the end they relented because it was for charity. That was set up. I met Mark in a in a London hotel, a very posh London hotel, to talk about, will you do this for charity? Because, again, charity, he has issue, issues with charity. Yeah. It brings weakness, he thinks. Mm. Um, and I, I've got to be very careful. I'm not going to identify the third party. In this, okay. and you understand why. So we've been sat there for a tremendously long time, um, and uh, we have a couple, a couple of drinks have been taken. And he said, I, I said, what's happening now? He said, oh, somebody's coming to from another magazine. Um, she's coming to talk to me. This person is now a very famous writer, but uh, and she was very new at the time. So we're in this hotel. It's midwinter, and they have put the coal fire on in such a way that it's gigantic. Mm. And we were sat by it. It is huge, and it's white hot. Mm. So... This girl arrives in Hope's interview with her tape recorder and full of uh, the joys of life. She's, I would say, not a, she's not a thin person, properly womanly shape, I would say, and, and beautiful, yeah. in my opinion. So Mark, of course, first thing you've got to do, he's got to show off to her, right? Uh, he's finished with me, he's going to show off to her. He's got the ever-present cigarette in his mouth, and he leans into this white-hot pile of coal, light, light the fag. He comes back up with it, very successful, but both of his eyebrows are now slightly singed, and you can see them smouldering, right? And um, he, says to, he says to her, and this is why he's a bad man, he says, now listen, love, uh, I will try the northern accent, he says, listen, love. Sound like um, Savile, but yeah, go on, yes. Yeah, yeah, that, was, that, was, that was a very bad moment, wasn't it? And well, that was the man's direction, so I'm getting there. Yep. He said, listen, love, he said, uh, don't be nervous, I've done more of these interviews, and you've had hot dinners. Which, taking a look at you, might be quite a few, he says. <laughs> this is from a man whose eyebrows are on fire. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Alan Caddick. Yes. Evening, Alan. Evening, evening, Danny. Hello, Alan. How are you? No matter what kind of cake. Uh, lemon drizzle. Hip, hip, hip. Hip, hip, hip to you, sir. What you got for us? Well, I want to book my call for tomorrow night. Well, we're t- no, right, f- we're doing a thing mm. where people have to... Fu- you've completely misunderstood it, Alan. <laughs> it's Friday, isn't it? That's it's all going f- on. It's Friday. Even Danny, I've understood that. Danny knows it better. <laughs> people are booking their calls and their topics for Friday. But- I thought it was for tomorrow night. No, no, not at all. But I, we kind of... I, I, sus- I, I suggest we do it tomorrow. So, 
why don't you book your slot for tomorrow night so you can book your slot for Friday night? What time would you like to call in tomorrow, Alan? Can I call in at ten o'clock for the start of the show? Yes, you can, Alan. So Alan Caddick will be calling in at ten o'clock... To book a call on another show. To book a call on Friday. <laughs> Does that sound all right? Yeah, and also that programme you were watching while you were having a pre-recorded chat... Yes. It was called Naked Attraction. Naked Attraction. It's yeah. it's lazy. Um, it's it's you basically. So you 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 see their penises and then you see their chests and then you see their faces and their bums and the woman picks a date and that and that's it. And it kind of feels like old fashioned Channel Four, except they didn't have an audience. They were trying to. They were doing pseudo science around it. You know. I mean, I'm I'm no TV critic. It sounds crap, doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah. it? Sounds absolutely it was, crap. It was awful. And me and Kath are sat there watching it, going, I don't. And if they'd gone the full hog and got an audience yeah. in that's baying and barking and stuff like that... And pointing and jeering at yeah. male penises, let's be fair, that's partly what they're there for. Then you'd... Then you'd... Don't forget the women. Well, you, and sometimes yeah. you see the women, and, I mean, is there anything more unattractive than a penis, though? It really is. Well, I think it's a matter of opinion, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm in your camp with this. Yeah, uh, oh, no pun intended. I mean, this is uh, the thing I couldn't... I couldn't be gay, because I just think they're, they're ugly, horrible things. Anyway, Alan, we've, you've taken us on a tangent that perhaps we don't need to go down, so thanks very much. Thank you! Bye-bye. Let's go to Paul. Evening, Paul. Hi. Could I please be allowed the honour to speak to Danny? Um... Oh, yeah, go on, then. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I've got so many things to ask to say to Danny Kelly. Well, you're not going to get to say all of them, trust me. Okay, maybe not. I'll try and keep them all short. Danny? Yeah, how are you doing, man? Okay. Good. Good to hear from you. Can I say... Uh... I don't know where to start... You were talking about Gary Baldy biscuits. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he's yeah. told in about to yeah. pick you up on Gary yeah. Baldy's. <laughs> Do you know what we call them in our family? And we have them all, all the time in the cupboard. Is it something to do with dead insects? Dead fly biscuits. Yeah, of course, dead fly biscuits. Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, but uh, but but them boys is tasty though. Even though they, you do look like you're eating oh, a glazed yeah. fly, them yeah. boys are tasty. Beautiful. Stuff. They're almost like fig rolls, aren't they? Well, they're in, I suppose they're in the same generic family as fig rolls, but, uh, you know, I, I've never seen the periodic table of biscuits, but I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, OK. Secondly, can I say, have you ever heard of a place called Huckingdon Farm? Of what? What did you say? He said that, he said that, yeah. What did you say? Have you ever heard of a place called Huckingdon Farm? Uh, you better be saying Huckingdon, otherwise you're getting a lifetime ban. No, no, no. Huckingdon. Yeah. I, no, I've not heard of Huckingdon Farm. Yes. You heard of a place called Weirder's End? What end? Weirder's End. No, I'm afraid my, my knowledge of uh, of English villages is limited. Okay. You've heard of Alvin Lee? Yeah, of course. The guitar player with ten years after, yeah. Okay. Can I ask you to look up an artist and a person that is a great musician these days that's up to date now called Alexander Wolfe? All right, you're recommending Alexander Wolfe to me, are you? Tell me Wolf, about... Alexander Wolfe, spelled W O L. W-O-L-F-E. Yeah, what, tell us about the Wolfatola, the old Wolfstress. Okay, first of all, if you Google it, you'll come No, up just with tell a... us about it, for crying out loud, man! First of all, you'll, if you Google it, you'll come up with a... We're not going to Google it! You'll come up with a WWE wrestler called Alexander Wolf. Right, I've cut him off, because he was yeah. just doing my nuts. And, of course, you were in danger of breaking your expensive computer with a hammer <laughs> rather than Google <laughs> that, weren't you? Yeah. Let's try John. Good evening, God. John. My, my fans are turning out to be a weird <laughs> old bunch, aren't they? Oh, dear God. Hello, John! How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. What you got for us? Just a quick question for Danny. Yes. Try me. Sorry. No, no, sorry. Whatever right. I'm to Stato. 
Ah, Stato, you remember Angus Lochran? Yeah. I don't know. Um, why are you asking me? Because I, I, I think I know why, but why are you asking me? He was your sidekick for years. No, I you never worked with Stato. I don't know anything about football, but even I know you've got the wrong person. Was you not on a show under the moon? Yes. Stato was on that. Well, Angus was on that, was he? That would tell you how much I was drinking during was the course. I don't was remember. I don't remember him on Stato that. Stato was on the Fantasy <laughs> Football League with David Baddiel and yeah. um, the Skinner, Frank Skinner. I think that's what you're confusing it with. Tom Bins was Tom Bins. Tom Bins and. Tom Bins, who was under the, the comedian, the comedian whose whose current thing um, about about hospital radio was brilliant, and he's got another great show at Edinburgh right he's now. Good Tom Bins, Le- yeah, yeah, Lisa like Rogers, yeah. the beautiful Lisa Rogers. Yeah. Later on, uh, Scrappy yeah. Challenge. Yeah, she was my uh, my sidekick on there. And Tim he's Clark, who's still the I was drinking back then. Who, yeah, quite. He's still the MC <laughs> at the comedy club. But I will tell you, I, I will help you out here. So I'm at some launch party for something or other at the Kensington yeah. Roof Gardens. I mean, you must spend a lot of time there, I imagine, Ian. Yes, yes, all the time. Danny. Very posh all bar. The time, yes, I'm there, and this, um, this, this, uh, frankly, beautiful middle-aged woman. So a little bit older than me at the time. So this is a little while ago. Um, let's say I'm mid thirty. she's mid-40. She is decked out. Her clothes are worth more than my car, put it yeah. that way. Yeah. And um, she keeps coming over to me saying, have you got a drink? And I say, yeah, thank you. Or she'll bring me a drink or whatever. And she keeps engaging me about horse racing. And uh, I'm of Irish extraction. Um, my people live very near William Mullins's yard, so I can hold my own about the equines, although I don't bet <laughs> on them. Um, and and she was she was attractive enough to hold my attention. So this is going on for two hours. She's I'm worried. Bring- I think I know where this is she, going. Yeah, she's bringing me drinks. She's talking about horses. And eventually, one of my confrères says to me, "You know what's on here, don't you?" I said, "Yeah." She loves me, doesn't she? she really, really, she fancies the ass off me. She goes, "No, she thinks you're Stato." There we go. Quite a large man, <laughs> quite a round face. Angus and I didn't. We we're not we're not perfect twins, but she thought I was blinking Stato, uh, I, and and you know what I did something foolish here. I yeah. dissuaded her. I dissuaded her very illusion, and uh, to, a beautiful thing, a beautiful friendship was broken that moment. You could have you could have pretended yeah. to be Stato and been yeah. way in there. How disappointed would she have been afterwards though? She found that I wasn't Stato. Oh three four 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 nine. Loving your callers. <laughs> let's our girl, God. Let's take a quick break. The late night alternative with Ian Lee. On Talk Radio, <laughs> we are. Um, you hang on a second. You're on the. You're on the radio. So whatever yeah. you say now is. Um, but we, 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 we've got family members tweeting yeah, yeah, yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. My, my You've given heart. your family the, the, the night off. It would appear, and, and they are grateful. Well, I don't. I can't imagine why they're wasting their time. Shouldn't she be watching Lady Telly and not listening to your show? Frankly, but that's a, another issue. Let's talk to um, Jerry. Evening, Jerry. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well, mate. How are you doing tonight? I love the stuff I've done. He said interesting. He, well, he's, he's he's a very interesting gentleman. Yeah, we, and I've, not, I've I've got to ask him about how he got into the NME, but we'll yeah. get there in a minute. Okay, that's that. Huh? Okay, that's that. What year did he start to the NME? Say what that. Year? Say that again, because um, I've got this is Jerry. I was talking about yes. earlier on. He's got Parkinson's. Yes, I struggle to hear because these headphones are rubbish, um, and also it's a hot night. Go on, Jerry. Say it again. Hot night. No, my no, my room. No ladies here. Sorry about that. Steady. Yeah, Come on, mate. Keep it above the belt, for goodness what, sakes, Jen. What year did he start in the enemy? What year did he start in the enemy? 
Oh, I didn't start it. I, I was. But what uh, you did you start? Uh, at, oh, I started. At, I, I I went over to the NME um, very briefly in, in 1983. Yeah. Um, then I was hijacked for six weeks by Sounds. It's uh, it's great oh, heavy metal yeah, rival. Yeah. Um, then I was dragged back by the hair of the head by the editor. One of the funniest uh, interviews I've ever had. Um, Go on. Why, why was it so funny? Oh, because I was uh, still working full time for an ordinary company. I yeah. had a job with Sterling Health. Um, they had a people make Panadol around the world. Oh, the really? Aspirin. Yeah. That's what you were doing. What were you um, doing there? Shipping. Shipping. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, I, myself and a, another woman called Eileen Kelly. No relation. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were sending Panadol around. The, actually. Uh, do you know what I was doing? They have massive factories all over the world making these headache pills, Sterling yeah. Health. Um, the biggest one is in Nigeria. Yeah. Where t- two things are: Nigerians consume more Guinness than any other country. Yes, in they the world, love it. Yeah. And more headache tablets, and the two things are probably linked. <laughs> and what we were doing: these machines that make the tablets. Myself and Eileen, we were feeding the machine. Any spare part, they were made by a company called Manistee in Liverpool, yeah. and any spare part that we were missing, we would get it. But we were being exploited by the managers, these, uh, these uh, uh, pressing plants, if you call them that, for the, for the tablets. Yes. Because they, what they used myself and Eileen for was, they're not in the, in the UK, they're all UK expats. Um, this has happened. Um, can you send me a, a head for an, a, for an action man? Uh, my son's action man is broken, can you send me it so we do that? This reached an absolute apotheosis once, a high point, when um, a man said to me, uh, Danny, you're, um, you're, can you help me with something? Um, we've got a lot of chickens in our compound. Um, he's the manager of the, of the well, I think, maybe the, well, somewhere in South America. Yeah. And he said, and I'm going to send you a photograph tomorrow. This is long before the internet. Yeah. I'll send you a photograph um, of what's happening to our, to our chickens' eggs. So, two weeks <laughs> later, two weeks, this is, this is my job, two weeks later, two weeks later, um, this photograph arrives, yeah. and the egg has just come out of the, uh, several, several photographs of eggs that were gone leathery. Hen eggs, which are all wrinkled on the outside. Leathery eggs. Uh, of course, I've always had a certain kind of brain, I can track things down. Yeah. Two days later, he's got egg drop syndrome. His flock have got egg drop syndrome. I was able to send him back another letter saying he needs to find a local vet, they need to be injected. It's called egg drop syndrome, and it makes the eggs all leathery. The reason I'm frowning... Yeah. That's the second term. I, the second time I've heard of egg drop syndrome in the last couple of weeks. Isn't there? Because there's an egg problem going on at the oh, moment. Oh, is that what and it is? And maybe that's one of the they're saying. And there are common oh. enough diseases because there's this big thing. Is a whole lot of eggs have had yes. to be destroyed or yes. something. Oh, yeah. there's a, but there's a, there's a million rogue Dutch eggs floating around, and that hasn't stopped the people in some d- uh, Belgian village today making a ten thousand egg omelette as part of their. Uh, it's um, Malmedy, where there was the. Big massacre during, yeah. the, during the Ardennes. Yeah. People in Malmody today, I saw them on Twitter, making uh, an, an omelette with yeah. 10,000 eggs in it. And tomorrow... Uh, hats, hats off, everybody. Oh, well done, but tomorrow uh, they're all going to have the squits, aren't they? A they, little they, bit, yeah. One of those eggs is, is a Dutch one. They're in big trouble. Well, where, 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 how do we get onto this? Why did I go off about... Uh, oh, I don't oh, know. No, no. Yeah. Um, what we'll do... I hope someone at home is drawing a map of the conversation so we can find our way back home at the end. What did you... What, did, what were we... Oh, uh, Enemy. Uh, sorry, yes. 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 I, I, I was... I was a normal person and i had a normal job yeah and uh, anyway i i've been taken off i've uh, been writing for the enemy and suddenly i got a phone call from eric fuller who was the editor of sounds for those of you who don't sounds no longer exist the enemy doesn't really exist either does it well they give um, I, they give the enemy away free at they the give a thing stations. called the enemy away oh, it breaks my heart oh, yeah, it, it, that and time out magazine sometimes my heart. sometimes I, I pick it up on, on, on a, uh, and look at it and a big single tear runs down my fat face yeah uh, yeah so um uh and I was taken away to Sounds, and Eric said to me, You're, you, you can write, why don't you come and work for us? And he, uh, I, I, he offered me features work, so I went. 
and a few weeks later i was dragged back um and very happy to drag back. i love the enemy yeah I, I grew up with it. i really was delighted to be dragged back and i'd never met the editor a man called neil, neil spencer um and neil rang me personally uh, at work and he said i want you to come to this evening when you finish work come to the enemy and um we will we'll talk about what's going to happen so i go now i'm wearing work clothes yeah i've got ordinary work clothes on i didn't know that neil is a big fashionista right uh -oh. so I, I go to the reception at the enemy in carnaby street it's in carnaby street what more <laughs> could you want i'm so excited and um he comes out of his office he's alerted to my presence and he comes out of his office and he, he first words out of his clutches his head and goes oh man because that's how he, neil, he, neil talks still oh man if i'd known you're gonna wear shoes like that we wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. He was judging me on on my shoes. Good, good. Me, since you want to talk about magazines, let me tell you that 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 conversation in reverse happened to me. Yeah. Um, I'm now running the live section at NME right. in Carnaby Street. I mean, I'm having the time of my life. I've given up full time work and I'm now wow. doing the NME. Right. What fun! And I'm, I'm anyway, we're doing the live reviews. And in the way of these things, Neil walks in. Um, and you have to understand that Neil's a person who, first thing in the morning, along with a man called Paul Bradshaw, yeah. who launched a wonderful jazz magazine, Straight No Chaser, sometime, um, they go on the roof of the building, yeah. first thing in the morning, to take a relaxant and do Tai Chi. This is, this is their morning while we're trying to do, get the magazine out, right? <laughs> so Neil comes down and he says to me, Oh, Danny, I met a guy in a club last night and I want you to give him some work. I said, Well, fine, okay, right. Um, he's coming over this afternoon. In hoves this chap. Um, he's come from. He has. Uh, he's come to. He's, he's managed to track down the editor of the enemy. He so desperately wants yeah. to write work for it. And it's a man called Delhi for Delhi. He's a Nigerian chap wow. who educated in Syracuse in New York. He's, yeah. he's got a degree in advanced engineering. If you want any bridges built, he's your man. You're right there, Jerry. Hello. You're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen to this. So, so Delhi, Delhi comes, and I, uh, and he's he's kind of a he's a he's, a, he's an interesting guy to talk to. And I said, what? So what happened? He said, Well, I, I came from America to find the NME. I said, Really? He said, Yeah. I arrived at Heathrow. I've got some clothes. He's got two bags with him. Yeah. He's like a bag man. He's got a plastic bag full of uh, three shirts, and in the other one, he's got a plastic bag full of cuttings from previous years NMEs. Yeah. He's so desperate to work for us. Okay. All right, I'm not anyone who's come from America to find us. I'm not going to say no. I said, all right, yeah. well, there's some gig uh, next Wednesday. Could you please go away and review that for me? I'll have 500 words. Next week, he comes back, and um, this is days long before email stuff. You have to bring your copy to, yeah. the, to the office. And he's got this 500 words, Ian, and they are written in coloured pencils. Oh, baby. They are written in coloured pencils. They're not typed out in double space. They're written in coloured <sighs> pencils. And I said... I won't swear. I said, what the F is this? And he said, it's my review. I said, yeah, we type the reviews out here and we double space them. It's journalism. Oh, no, no. He said, each of the different colours represents a mood of these words. Ooh, right? Wow. And I, and he turned the table. I said, I went into 20 minutes, no, 20 seconds of working class. I have not got, I'm, I have got work to do. I cannot. You're, you're standing here in front of me telling me the moods of the, the colour paper. Yeah. And he put his hand to his head. He went, oh, man, I thought the enemy could handle it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, and he was right. He was right. Of course he was right. Col <laughs> coloured mood words, uh, Danny. Absolutely. What I, were you thinking, oh, man. you square? I, I've got on to be great friends with Delhi. <laughs> oh, man, I thought the enemy could handle it. 
here's another thing about that. Yeah. His father was an important person in, in Nigeria. He told us so himself. And um, Delhi, and he he hated Delhi living in London. He thought it was yeah. too cold for uh, a boy brought up in Africa to 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 be here. And each year he would bring Delhi a very large an ringing. overcoat, uh, sort of. Oh, hang, hang on a second, yeah. a bit. You're right. You're right, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, hello. Do, do they want? Do they want? Do the do the carers want the phone back? No, they shut the door. It's on the door on me. They've shut the door on you. Yeah. Good. Good for them. Well, hang what on a minute. Are you using that? You can hear them. I can hear them. Yeah, of course. Thank you. No, John, you just pester me. Yeah, well, it, s- it, screw that. Yeah, look, put, put put something heavy against the door. <laughs> Don't let them in again. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, his father would turn up once a year yeah. with a. It was like a um, the colour of muesli, a worsted coat. He always went for a big, thick, yeah. woven coat. Yeah. But Delhi had discovered the joys of pints of beer in the meanwhile yeah so he was getting bigger and bigger and his father was always one visit behind so <laughs> Delhi every winter had a coat that was much too small for oh, him God. then his dad would bring him a bigger coat but he got bigger and yeah. it, always i remember the sight of him arriving in the office no longer with colored pens just yep. writing ordinary reviews you beat that out of him he discovered public enemy he brought me public enemy that's what <laughs> i remember about <laughs> Delhi. um but always his coat it was like he'd stolen it because it was always yeah. two sizes too small for him brilliant Derry, listen i'm gonna let you go public enemy number one up your bum absolutely Thank public you for... enemy number one is that where you met danny baker at enemy no 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 um this leads to another sorry this is just an oh mate i'm loving it right. as okay. long as you're comfortable no, i am I'm loving sure. this no no danny and i missed each other a lot um the uh he just left the enemy when I started. Right, it. okay. Then um, he was just uh, left Radio London first time round when I started on there. Yeah. Um, and we didn't meet for for a little while. I'll tell you about that a little later. But this reaches a, a high point um, when uh, we. It's the Q Awards, which were an amazing thing. Um, just for those who don't know, when Q Magazine was the thing, and yeah. we were making a lot of money, and I, I hope, and I think I was making great magazines. Oh, it was, it was works a, of art. I hope. Wonderful, yeah. Some of them were works of art, and I'm really proud of them. Yeah. Um, but the awards were extraordinary. By a simple trick, we managed to get every major rock star to a hotel room, you know, one of those ballrooms in London. You know what the trick was? Yeah. No television. Really? Absolutely no TV, no cameras. They were... So all the members of Led Zeppelin would be there. I... The Living Beatles would be there. Yeah. You two would turn up just to hang out because there were no television cameras. I hosted the Q Awards once in the two th- early 2000s. Did you have a good time? Oh, uh, I was I was terrified, Danny. I was I got pissed. I was totally out of my depth. I was totally out of my depth, and I stood there and I'm introducing Jarvis Cocker, who's introducing Scott Walker, yeah, and yeah, Christina Aguilera. That's how it goes. Yeah. Robert Smith is sat there, and I'm just and I was I was it, I I did an absolutely terrible job. I've got it on video. I've never watched. I it. must look that up. Never, <laughs> never. It's about 2003. Never going to watch it. That was awful, awful. So Danny and I are friends by this time, and I'll explain about that in a little while. But um, he 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 goes to give away one of the prizes, you know, best actor, whatever. Yeah. And he does a brilliant job. He's a funny man. He, he it was just great. So I've got to follow this, and so I come back out because I'm oh, I'm sort of the host, and I say this is very tricky. You know, following Danny, it's very very tricky. You know, I, I followed him onto the enemy. I followed him onto uh, onto BBC London. I followed him onto this stage. He stands up <laughs> in the middle of a thousand. You leave my wife alone! <laughs> he shouts out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? That was one of the most extraordinary things. Yeah. I was working, I was editor of whichever magazine it was, it must have been Enemy at the time, and they asked me if I'd go on the old Radio 5, the BBC, before it became 5 Live, yeah. on Friday mornings and review the newspapers. And for some reason, I had a full-time job, I decided I would do this. Yeah. And I, I can't even remember who the, the presenter was. 
Man, it was dreadful. Yeah. I was dreadful. He was dreadful. It was slow. It was turgid. It was no good. Anyway, they said, we're getting a new presenter next week, a bloke called Danny Baker, who I knew vaguely of because he'd been at the NME and written some very funny things, yeah. some very insightful things. And I said, well, you know, I should go with the other fellow. And he said, no, no, stay on. We think, we, we think you can we'll stay on and review the newspapers. First Friday we did this. We walked in. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. Um, I can honestly say that within 10 minutes we realised we were peas in a pod. Or as we later put it, two men, one personality, which is unfair <laughs> on Danny, but, uh, but uh, that's what he says. That's what he says. And we've been, Isn't that funny been that extraordinary friends. And, and we've worked uh, We've worked in books, yeah. in radio, in television. We've yeah. done everything. Uh, and we don't live in each other's pockets. We do not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I was around his house for his birthday recently, but I might not. I might speak to him, but I might not see him for mm. three or four months. More. Um, but whenever we do the work, we bring the best out of each other. Um, but that's that, that, that starts with me reviewing the newspapers for him is on the, Radio isn't that 5. Isn't And I, 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 I'm a full-on radio geek, you know, and I, I love radio. I love speech radio primarily. But I used yeah. to listen to Danny when it was GLR, I guess. Yeah. What, uh, the weekend lineup was was Chris Evans at his peak, yeah. I, uh, uh, I, I think. Danny Baker and Chris Morris, you know, yeah. just ridiculous. Um, uh, and uh, but the show that you two did, and I can't quite picture exactly where it is in the. Uh, we did several actually yeah, on different stations because yeah, we know. get sacked and go to another station with it. Yeah, but I, I just used to love it. I used to laugh so much, and I, I mentioned that rambling message I left you the other day. That um, five pies named Mo. Yeah, just it was. We, we, we were obsessing about pies for a while. Yeah, um, and this this came out of um, the. There's a man called Jeff Astle. He's no longer with us. Mm. He, his, his legacy, unfortunately, is that he is the, I, I use the, forgive the flippant phrase, he's the poster boy for the generation of footballers who've all got brain damage right. from heading the very heavy footballs. Okay, yeah. What happened now? The footballs are like balloons. Yeah. But then, and Mrs. Astle's often been on TalkSport talking about what happened yeah. to her husband. He missed a glorious chance in the 1970 World Cup in Mexico to, for a chance for England to beat Brazil. Right. Um, anyway, Jeff, uh, he was a very good footballer. Uh, the, the story was that somebody came on, and you know, you're right, that show, was just, but that show was made by Danny's brilliance and the callers who just had so much nonsense to bring oh, us. But you were funny too. Sure, absolutely, you know, sure, absolutely. It was the teamwork. Absolutely. You know, we, we bring the best out of each other. He, yeah. he admits as much as so. Um, and it was about... Uh, in the modern world where footballers get, where there is one footballer now earning £525,000 a week after tax. Hello, Neymar Jr., um, etc. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, it is. But even then, they, they, they earn more than the ordinary working man. Yeah. And somebody told us about a dinner that he'd been at, you know, and uh, Jeff Astle was at the table, and there was other players, but they were also mingling with the public. And for some reason, Jeff had obviously not been sated by the fare that had been presented to him. And um, he... He, not haughtily, but he, he clicked his fingers and brought the waiter over and just said, any more pie? <laughs> <laughs> and that phrase, Danny and I had riffed on any more pie for a year. Yeah. Um, and of course, they went on to any more anything else. You know, yeah. and, and, you know we talked, and then we talked about colourants, any more dye for yeah. a year, um, and so on. And so, but I think that the, the five pies main, name Mo was a, was a variant of our obsession with any more pie. And it, right now, I only have to say the word pie yeah. on, uh, out there on TalkSport, where, with all due respect to the news station, yeah. you know, you've got a million people listening to you, and 20 people yeah. on Twitter will say, any more pie, <laughs> straight away. <laughs> uh, the, um, the, it, 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 it was, it's, 
what I like about what I liked about the shows that you did with with Danny is just, and I do think Danny is you know it's a word no, that we throw he, around often, but he's, I think he's a genius. No, no, he's the greatest radio presenter in Britain. And I have, and I've told him this. I have nicked so much from him. You know why not? Because he's, he's he nicked it from Hal Stern. So well, you know, he, fair, well, fair, exactly. You know. And he's he's only on once a week, which I don't get, which so, is disgraceful. Yeah, uh, is it shameful? Um, but those shows, it was just this is why I like radio, and I don't think you get it very often now. I know you get it on on Talk Sport a bit, and you get it a bit on here, but certainly not on LBC, very rarely on the BBC local stations. Just And what we're doing tonight, just two people having a chat, and every now and then a caller will chip Let in with some with where it wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. And every... I, I remember, because I did four years at BBC Local Radio, and then I, they, they treated me terribly. But I, I loved it, I loved it, and I learned a lot. But I went and did some... You, you should be more bitter about it, like Danny is. I know, Properly I know. Properly bitter. I've, 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 I've almost let it go. No, no, no! <laughs> Cultivate it! And also, if you feel it leaving your body, yeah. push it back <laughs> push down it back inside. In. Don't express your feelings! But I went and did some shifts at some other local BBC Local stations. Good for and, you. And they, they brought out... I said, right, so what do you want the show to be? And they brought out a clock on a bit of paper, and they said, right, so at the top of the hour, it's the news. At two minutes past the hour, you'll introduce the weather. At three minutes past the hour, you go yep. to the travel. Yep. At four minutes past the hour, you'll throw out your topic, and then we'll play our first record. And I was just thinking, for goodness sakes, why can't we just just open the microphones and see what happens i tell you why because most people truthfully aren't talented enough to do it and it would be well, awful well you i think there's something that i think you know i've been doing this for 15 years so i kind of know how to get You've the best out of callers yeah, I've, I can I've worked do it too, it. yeah um and, and another bbc station that we had a, the, the boss there loved me and then the new boss came in and she said ian your show scares me and what she meant by that was, at ten minutes to two, I'd go down to the studio and she'd say, right, what's on the show today? And I said, I don't know yet. We'll see, we'll see what happens. And she couldn't understand that, 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 that air of spontaneity. And it meant we had a couple of dud shows. Of course we did. But sometimes... Everyone does those. Yeah. But some of them crackled with an energy. And I, I got that from you and Danny. Yeah. You know, uh, th- that energy. Uh, absolutely. And they, they, they were... And we in the recent TV thing we did on BT where we... And we told them we would not rehearse, we would not have a, a camera plan, we wouldn't know what we were going to do. They yeah. were just... The, the crew hated us for the first six months. Yeah. So, six weeks. I'd say six weeks. <laughs> they genuinely hated us because TV crews, they like to go through rehearsal, then as the red light goes on, suddenly all responsibility is yours yeah. if you're a presenter, and they get the pizzas in. Yeah. Whereas this, they were required to follow us around. But by the end of it, they were doing as much spontane- spontaneous, creative stuff. The sound department, the camera ladies, they were mostly ladies, um, they were all doing jokes of their own. It was yeah. fantastic, and we, we, we encouraged that. Just before people run away with the idea that um, this great radio career that you're talking about, myself, Danny, myself on my own, um, it's not all been so great. No. Recently, um, about uh, three weeks ago, somebody out here, one of the young people who work on Talk Sports, said he'd been on a training course. <laughs> so go on. <laughs> yes, yeah, the BBC one, you know, they're funding it, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm moonlighting over here, but the BBC yeah. are funding my, my training. He said, and uh, did, you, uh, did you ever work for BBC London? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh... Uh, one of your interviews is being... I said, I know, I know. It's being used It's been used for the past 15 years as how, how badly wrong it can go on radio. Let me just, very quickly, because it'll bring us back to the music. Yeah. I was doing... I was sitting here for Danny on BBC London on The Breakfast Show, yeah. and it was, it was a joy. Wonderful producer um, who used to dress the set for him. He used to dress yeah. the studio every day. The Mountain Goat used to dress the set for him. And... Um, First of all, uh, Danielle Nardini, the actress, came in. What right. uh, from um, what was the thing? I don't know. The, the I don't know. Oh the no, she's very, very famous. You recognise her? You look her up now. Well, I can't remember that. that 
that series where gay people were living together, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember. It was huge. Daniela came in. Uh, this is not the one. That, this is not even the one that gets yeah. uh, gets. Uh, and um, she was doing something at the uh, the uh, the old Vic, um, and where they were trying to recreate a film noir in real time. So the set was black and white and grey, yeah. and the action was all dark yeah. and running around. And this sounded fantastic to me. Huge fan of the Maltese Falcon and other kinds of um, touch of evil. Any film noir, I like German expressionist for cinema, know it all. She comes in, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm, I'm saying, so Daniela, this this this. this. She's going, mm, not really, no. Uh, no, don't really know what you're talking about. I, don't, I think you might, at one stage she might have denied knowing who Humphrey Bogart oh, was. God. I didn't realise that she hated the production, right? She hated it and wanted no publicity for it and wanted to close down so she could get the hell out of there, right? Oh, God. So that was bad. Daddy, hold that thought because yeah. we're going to take the news. Why would she come on if she didn't want to... Because she's it. been at the end of because PRs have you uh, they have a sword in their back, don't mm, they? The PR people. Well, but, well, but, but I must hold it because I'm going to tell you about the worst. It's an interview so bad on the radio yeah. that now the BBC use it to train people. Love it. Let's have a quick break. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Take a far out trip into the twilight zone of late night radio with Ian. Unmissable late night radio with the original king of unconventional conversation. Make contact with Ian Lee. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. It's a slightly different show this evening. Danny Kelly is here. We're on until six o'clock in the morning. Come on and torture because I love what you do. I thought we'd get half an hour, and um, we've not even really started yet. We're just warming up. Um, Let's let's go through this. I've got a couple of calls. Good evening, Martin. Hello, Ian. Oh, and then we've Hello, got to pick up your boy. story where we no, left no, off no, 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 the interview. After Martin, yeah, Martin, go on, Martin. Martin. Go on, Martin. Uh, right, Ian, right. I'm a second-time call to your show, right? And I've got to admit, right, it's a cracking diversion. Your show is for more than misery of Trump, Brexit, and Muslims. But I've got two complaints to well, make. This is the... Co- this is the... This is... Just to explain, because some people are going, what? This is... You know, most phoning shows right now are talking about Muslims. They're talking about... Um, Brexit. Brexit. They're talking about Trump. They're yeah. talking about... All of that stuff. And if, if people egg want drop that syndrome stuff... As well, the egg yeah. drop syndrome. <laughs> if people want that stuff, then you just go anywhere else on your dial. And well, this or, is, or on this station, agree, but not, yeah. this, not on this principal's moment. Yeah. No, you... you you're going to 12 hours hence. Yeah. We'll take I, I agree, Ian, like, I love your show, but I've got two complaints to make tonight. You don't, don't mind me. Number one, right, yes. uh, a guy called David Babcock. David Babcock, yes, he's, he's, right. a, he's a ghost hunter that calls that's the show from right, time to time. Yes, right. yes. This guy, right, is the Derek Okoy of Total Radio and YouTube, like, yes. he's a total fake. What? He believes that go to sit next to him, like, in his chair, like, yeah. and the guy is just... Well, okay. Number two. Right? Hang on, hang on a minute. Let's address point number one. Okay, okay. You can't just come on and call David Badcock a fake, right? He is a fake. Well, you can't just. Well, first of all, that's libelous. You can't say it. Okay. Well, he's spreading fake news. Right. Okay, right. Well, secondly, how do you know that he didn't have a ghost sitting next to him? Because I watched that video like last night about with right. you and Catherine in the studio, and you couldn't see the ghost. Well, I couldn't see the ghost, but no. he's convinced he did see the ghost. Yeah, well, he, David Badcock came in, there was a chair there, he sat there, he was convinced there was a ghost there. Where, I don't understand where your evidence is that he was lying. Well, Derek O'Connor claims he's seen a ghost on Big Brother the other night. Yes. Which... Well, let's, let's talk about Derek, Derek O'Connor. Okay, okay. okay but... Let's talk about David Badcock, who claims yeah. that ghosts enter him the guy is rectally. a total fake. Well, well you can't <laughs> just come on and say he's a fake. Where's your evidence, Martin? Okay, well, I'm going to gather that up. Like, anyway, you gather the evidence up and you come back with Ian, a file. It's very hard to prove a negative here. There are no ghosts, but <laughs> okay, I, I'm on Ian, his side. 
Ian Rod, can I make my second complaint before I get off? Second complaint, yes. Okay, right. <laughs> There's been a bin started Birmingham now for seven weeks. Oh, yes, we're calling it Birmingham okay. as a result, okay. yes. Alan Cannock, right, yes. who lives about half mile away from me, I live in Bartley Green, he lives in Harbour. Okay. I know, because he told James Well, mm. James Well, the other night. Yes. He and his residents have been dumping their maggot infested bean bags in our willy bins about half a mile away. Your willy bins? Wheel, yeah, wheel wheel bins, wheel yeah. bins. Sorry, they I'm have been putting their maggot-infested willy bins, their bean bags. Right, well, you know what you need, Martin. I can't believe I've got to spell this out for you. You know what you need to do then. You need to hide in the wheelie bins, and when he lifts it up to put his thing, you jump yeah, out and scare absolutely. the life out of him. <laughs> That's what you got to do, Martin. <laughs> Oh, God, I love you, Ian. Thank you very what? much indeed. Uh, strange people, my callers, but... Uh, <laughs> well, that was, a, that was a kind of personal vendetta, <laughs> Wild West style, between two collectors of bin bags or whatever it was, and they're now using you oh, as no. a go-between, a conduit, go if you will. Go and have a punch-up. The worst interview oh, God. is now being used as a training um, tool. So I had the Daniel, uh, Daniela Nardini um, uh, conversation, and that was bad. Yeah. The following day, um, a person of... About 60 years of age was coming in. She had been a major pop star. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you who it was. It was Elkie Brooks. Okay, yes. Uh, uh, you know, I've interviewed her a little bit flighty. But, I mean, um, that's, that's putting it mildly. But yeah. I was very imp- very thrilled about this because yeah. um, I had been to see a band called Vinegar Joe many times in yeah, the 70s. Yeah. She was the singer along with Robert Palmer yep. in a band. They weren't very good, but a, a, a 14-year-old me thought they were the absolute soul of popular music. Yeah. She'd also, she's from Liverpool... She had known the Beatles wow. um, and, and been on, on, on stages with the Beatles. And she'd been and made one of the very first rock operas, a, a space rock opera. Did she? Uh, she was the lead vocalist on a space rock opera in about 1972. And I had all this stuff prepared. Yeah. She came in, little tiny bird of a woman, yeah. sat down. I should have guessed she had someone with her, kind of a posse in effect. Um, some kind of massive was with her. Yeah. And she sat the down. The Brooks massive. Yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, yeah. They were posse in effect. And I, I just... <clears throat> I started, I said, oh, okay, I'm so pleased, and we'll talk about your new record very, very soon, but of course, you've had a marvellous career in this business we call show, and you've, yeah. you've been in po- the very centre of pop music from since the Beatles onwards. She didn't want it bringing up for whatever reason. She hated her past, oh. she hated the Beatles, oh. she hated Vinegar Joe, and more specifically, she hated me. Aye. And I tried, and I've got several, I reckon I've got several kinds of interviewing skills. Yeah. I, I dust, I, you know, you know when you see, um, butchers and they unroll that brown bag full of knives? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I unrolled, for every occasion. I unrolled my massive bag of interview techniques. Good for you. And I tried every one of them over the next 20 minutes, because she was the ma- she was the major guest that morning. She was having none of it. She hated me oh dear and she didn't like the questions and she didn't want to talk and she it was terrible and i'm, I'm actually delighted that people are still playing yeah. that interview over to be listen uh, it doesn't always go well even the best prepared yeah. presenter can I, I don't know what I sh- if it had been a bloke i might have done <laughs> lee perry i might have said to her now listen you don't have to be here we don't have to be doing this but i was being she was an elderly lady and i was being too polite yeah perhaps. yeah yeah but, there's there's it, it's weird i've uh, i've interviewed a few people it, i find that the pr people that come with them are the worst i had ray davis on of the kings of to course. be fair a very difficult man in and a, of himself a tricky man yeah, yeah. but um the, 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 he was he had some crappy new album out um and the pr people came in first he said right yeah you can't can't talk to him about the kinks 
Okay, it's a pre-record. You can't talk to them about the Kinks. You got to talk about the new album. Okay. Yeah, can I, no, you've just got to ask about the new album. Okay. So he came in, and the PR people was I think they were stood behind him. And the first ten minutes of the interview was very stilted. He didn't want to be there. He doesn't like doing that stuff. And I was, you know, I was disappointed. So we're chatting, and, and then we had a it was being recorded, and we had a technical problem. My producer said, "Can we just stop for a minute? Because I need to do something." Uh-huh. And while it stopped. I said to him, do you get to Muswell Hill often? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've still got a place up there. I said, oh, because I live on Colney Hatch Lane. And oh, I used to live on Colney Hatch Lane. And I've just moved to Muswell Avenue. And um, I just, yeah. and it, as soon as I said, I, li- I don't live there now. That's why I'm giving these details out. Hmm. As soon as I said, oh, I live in Muswell Hill and, and I know this curry house. Boom. Yeah. T- you made in, some kind of connection. He yeah. was in the palm of my hand. And he, and as just, as just as we were about to go, he said, you can ask me anything you want. If you want to talk about the kinks, talk about the kinks. And we were in, and it was a joy because we'd made that connection. We were talking about curry houses and pubs and all of that stuff. But it's, it's, it's quite often it's the, it's the PR people are the ones that come in and want to focus on this terrible new album that they've made. Uh, well, and that's fine. I mean, I. That's the business. I, of course. I find, yeah. And I, I, when I was interviewing uh, musicians for the enemy or cure or whoever, I always used to say to them, now listen, what we're, what we're I promise you, I like the new record. Yeah. I will write positively about it. And you can hear them always sigh. Even if you don't like you need to say that. Yeah. They have a big sigh of relief. And they'll tell you, I mean, because musicians are mad. They'll tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know how people who've, God help them, have been addicted to drink or drugs, they do the 12 steps. And yeah. A lot of that is about expressing yourself more clearly. Yeah. Musicians don't need that. They, they cannot <laughs> wait to tell you all about themselves. Ray Davis. Okay. Ray Davis. <laughs> Here we go. Um, the Stoke Newington Literary Festival is one of the beautiful things that happens in London. Yeah. My friend Liz has built it up from um, nothing um, to what it is now, one of the great community festivals. Mm. The great and the good go to it, writers, musicians, and all the rest of it. And often it ends with a big set piece in the beautiful Art Deco uh, old town hall of yeah, Stoke Newington. Great building. And um, I've done it. I've done the air, the myself and Danny did a turn. And then I interviewed Wilco Johnson from Dr. Feelgood when he was supposed to be in the last throes of his cancer and was going to die. And that went, that was just great. And I've yeah. done some great work there. Anyway, the last. The last event, about three years ago, she's got Ray Davis and Julian Temple, the filmmaker. Yeah. They're great friends, and one's made a film absolute about the other. Absolute beginners. Um, did he make Absolute Beginners? He did, yeah. and um, and he's made many, many beautiful things in it, uh, about music. He loves music. Yeah. And Liz is saying to me, so you'll introduce them, Danny, and you'll do the interview. And I said, oh, hang on. No, 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 I won't. <laughs> Ray Davis won't want me, because he knows I'm a rock writer, yeah. and Ray Davis won't want to be interviewed by anyone except Julian and all the rest of it. So... She she begs me, and um, I said, all right, we'll go to the dressing room. And we go to the dressing room, and Ray's in there, and he's accompanied by... In the dressing room is what, it's just a, a room in this building. Yeah. He's accompanied by a two-thirds empty bottle of whiskey. Oh, God. And I said, see that? You see those two things? That's Ray, <laughs> and there's that. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And I, she again, she probably... I said, all right, Ray... Uh, do you want do you want a, a, a sort of uh, someone to introduce you an interlocutor an interviewer no no i don't julian will talk to me yeah fine this is about a great man laid low here forgive me about this um so they go up on the stage and julian does his bit about what he's been doing films with the sex pistols all the rest of it and he talks to ray about ray's career in america so i think ray had written his book about his time in america yeah. it was pretty good it would have been better if i did it mm. but it, but it was pretty good and i was enjoying it. i'm down in the crowd of about a thousand people now, of course, Ray is a man in his 70s, mm. and there's no problem with this. Um, I'm not the most follically gifted anymore myself, but Ray, of course, has the kind of shredded wheat haircut, doesn't yes, he? Yes, yes. Um, of that sport. He's working pe- magic with his hair. People yes. who can't... Who, yes, he has. And, of course, he's doing this act, and um, Julian is doing this, 
and this comes the Q&A. And it's very quiet. Nobody asks any questions. I'm, I thought I may have to step up to the plate here and ask something myself. Because I mean, really, they've done all the, they said all they wanted. Yeah. And people are slightly intimidated because it's Ray Davis. And I mentioned the microphone. I'll ask a question. It's a bloke with a Northern Irish accent. And now I say Ray is not the most warm person. And so the the the, the audience had enjoyed it in that kind of we're seeing Ray Davis, but there was no r- thing between the audience yeah. and him. The bloke gets the microphone. What's happened to your hair? So, now, of course, you've got two men in their 70s on the stage who've been drinking. Yeah. And, of course, the one thing they mustn't do is what happened next. I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh. What has happened to your hair? The bloke goes. Now Davis has heard it, right? <laughs> oh, there was bridleage. There was the F word. Oh. There was the usual things. Oh, I mean, I, I, th- I think... Wonderful. I, I wish... To, I believe, but, of course, I could be wrong. If I was on the stage, I would have diffused that. Yeah. But all... What did you say? <laughs> What's happened to your hair? The bloke shouts back again. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Q Magazine. Yeah. Um, and it was... Q Magazine was marvellous. Yeah. Um, how, how, what happened there? How did you get involved with that? How did you do that? I was that? Editor of NME, and um, I love being Editor of NME, and it was an honour, and it, 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 I still have it on my Twitter descriptor long after anyone cares about that sort of thing, because yeah. that's me. Um, how long were you there for? I was at NME for about 10 years, yeah. I, maybe a little less, and I was editing uh, for a couple of years, and uh, I loved it, and I had an amazing crew of people. Think about the people who they are now. Think about Stuart McConey. Yeah. Think about Andrew Collins. Think about Steve Lamack. Think about Marianne Hobbs. Think about James Brown. All of them were there at the same time. Great they, they writers, were, they were great my, communicators. And they're, brilliant. All, they're all in broadcasting yeah. now, and they were all great. And I was very lucky. And Barbara Ellen, mm. of The Observer, and all the rest of it, they were all there together. But there was a part of me that was starting to not care about the next band coming down the chute. Yeah. still love music. I still spend all my money on music, yeah. and I love music. But I just... Do I care? I think there's a band called Bis, B-I-S, who and I oh, thought, yes. oh, I just don't care. And we're going to talk about putting them on the cover. Yeah. Um, Steve Lamack, these days of Radio uh, 6, Six uh, Music, yeah, music um, had also uh, broken his instep when I wouldn't put the band The Frank and Walters on the cover. He kicked my desk so hard that he'd broken his leg. Um, and I had to get an ambulance for Steve. And, uh, and I thought, I remember thinking, Danny, you're, you're in your late 30s, now mid-30s. Is this really how you want to spend your time? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it was Bob Dylan's 50th birthday, and, uh, Bill Prince, these days, these days, um, the editor of GQ magazine, and I, we, we, we couldn't let this pass, I mean, obviously Bob Dylan had nothing, nothing to do with the enemy by that stage, um, and we did four pages of really compacted things about, you know, who is Bob Dylan, why is it important, and I did a a lovely interview, you know the cricket commentator, you don't know him, uh, Bob Willis, former England captain Bob Willis, Okay, yes. and um, Bob is still very much on Sky's coverage of cricket, and he always used to, uh, because they use their initials, don't they, in the batting order, he was R.G.D. Willis, Robert George Dylan Willis, Right. as a young person, he had changed his name to include Bob Dylan, and it's all that kind of stuff, and luckily, two great men, um, Mark Ellen and David Hepworth, you remember them introducing Live Aid, but before that they were the editors of Smash Hits, yeah. um, and they were now running Q. They saw those few pages we did about Dylan and said, wow, that's better than what Q has done in 150 pages this month. And I went and had, uh, I was invited to go and have some lunch with, uh, with David Hepworth. 
Um, he's still a great friend, though we, we agree about very little except Tottenham Hotspur right. and perhaps Van Morrison. He's, he, and he's still writing cracking oh, yeah. books. Oh, uh, uh, his, his most recent book called, two of them recently, 1971 yep. and the one named after the Pulp song, Forgive Me, um, uh, is, which either of David's new books, you can read either of them. Uh, start with 1971. Yeah. It's just an incredible book. That's the book. one I've read. I've not read the new yeah. one yet. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's, a, that's called The Rise of the Rock Stars. It's yep. a subtitle. And it's very, very good. Hepworth persuaded me that I should go and do an adult magazine, uh, by which I mean Q. Um, <laughs> let me tell you about that very briefly. Q's office at that time was in Great Portland Street, and yeah. it was a single um, single room, which David had a little room off of, and it was like the, the monks at Lindisfarne. They were making this, this rock and roll. It had stagnated. I mean, Paul Denoy, who I mentioned before, yeah. was editing it, and Paul was a great man. And um, I, I knew they weren't going to like me because I was going to change things. Um, and so I insisted that Paul stayed on for a month while I shadowed him. Yeah. Uh, and when I got up there to the room, I'm not joking, Ian. This Q had an office that was dirty and dusty. Um, the the recycling bin was full of record mailers. When I looked at the date, they were like seven years ago. Mm. They had filled up and no one had ever bothered to change it. Literally, there were shafts of light coming in off um, Great Portland Street in which the dust hovered. Yeah. And I thought, I hated it. And they hated me. They yeah. really did hate me. Um, and I think that what I did to try and get around that was I insisted that we do Alice in Chains. And we would write about their heroin addiction. And we'd go take photographs of Alice, Alice in Chains in a public toilet talking mm. about heroin. It was the least cute thing I could think to do. And they, it was only two pages, but at least it established that I was going to try and help out. Actually, I got on eventually great with it. We made some wonderful magazines. And yeah. I won't take the credit, but Q100, mm. which was like 360 pages, was not just a magazine. It was a work of art. Mm. Now, the uh, Bill Prince, Adrian Devoy went on to write lyrics for Robbie Williams. They did all the back, all the back work on that one, and I just put my name over it. Yeah. Um, but it, it was it was an amazing thing. To, to, we were lucky. We were in a position where that magazine could order any musician to come and help us out. Yeah. It was great. Lovely working on that. Uh, how long were you there for? About three or four years. Yeah. Maybe three. Maybe three. Um, because then the internet came along, and uh, here's the story. Oh, God. The internet was coming, and we we had some idea that the internet was coming. And two men came from America to address all the senior editors at EMAP. Women's magazines, youth magazines, some pretty big hitters. Marie Claire, Q Magazine, Empire, those sorts of things. And I was asked if I would defend print and paper. Mm. I love print and paper as it goes. They came and told us about this amazing thing where you wouldn't have to chop down trees in Scandinavia, wouldn't need printing presses, and magazines would be pushed to people, as the technology was called in those days, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And I got up and I made an impassioned defence in front of about 100 people of print and paper. Um, I make the point even now that the deeds to your house, the deeds to my house, still exist as ink on paper. We haven't yep. quite yet in engaged fully with the electronic media. And in order to make my point, in a frankly blasphemous recreation of the Catholic consecration ceremony, I ate paper and washed it down with ink. I drank ink Jesus as well, right? Danny. To make my point. But, and everyone applauded, and I was the hero of the hour in the printing industry, in the publishing industry, and I walked away from there knowing, ah, these two boys are right, aren't they? Yeah. And within three months, I'd started an internet company. Really? Yeah, because it was time. It's, um, 
I, and I still read music magazines. I, 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 I've written a few things for Record mm. Collector, which, which I'm a big fan of. And is I Ian just... McCann still in charge yes, over there? Yes, he is. Oh, my good friend Ian, he's of good, course he is. He's good, isn't he? He's... Yeah. Lovely he's, man. And he... an eccentric and... Oh, he's nuts. And knows more about reggae than I do. Uh, really? Oh. He's... Um, oh, his collection. We, we, and his like... James Brown records. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never met him, but we email yeah. each yeah, other. Yeah, and, great. And he's, he's a delight. Like, Record Collector is the only magazine that I ever used to subscribe to when yeah. I was 14, 15. Go through those listings. That's because you are a geek, my son. Oh, God, just yeah. going through... I could spend an hour going through those listings. Those discographies, yeah. 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 Um, and I still read... records were two pounds. Now they're, like, oh, 40. <laughs> uh, I, I, still... I just lost a John Mayall album on eBay, incidentally. It's just come up Did there you get sniped? Uh, yeah, I think so, I'm I still, so, yeah. I still um, say I'm going to pop down to our price to buy a record. That's how old I am. <laughs> but, um... I, 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 For I, me, that's Harlequin. That's <laughs> how old I am. <laughs> but, um... And, and there are still some... Still some still some really good music magazines and there are some good bits in music magazines but they don't feel as and i don't know if it's me being old i don't know what it is they don't the uncuts and all these magazines now they don't feel as immersive as q was as as, as the nme was as melody maker no, was no, for a no. while of course yeah uh, melody makers front four or five pages used to always really bother me it is to write it in a pub called the, the porto um in hoban and it was really, really good. It was better mm. than what we were doing. I said, it drive me mad. Um, no, what's happened there, you are older, and the good magazines like Uncut are catering. They are brilliantly nostalgizing yeah. music. The, the music that they like that's new refers back to the past. Yeah. And John Mulvey was with me at the NME who runs Uncut, and I, and I, I like it a lot. Um, but the world has changed, hasn't it? And it's not about you growing older. Um, and I hate this business about as you grow older, perhaps you'd lose your taste in music. Mm. But what I always say is the people who booked the Beatles to play at the Cabin Club, they weren't fans of the Beatles. They were fans of Chuck Berry mm. and Jerry Lee Lewis um, and Eddie Cochran. And I used to say to people, and what do you think now? Do you think they still like Chuck Berry? They're 70 now. Do you think they still like Chuck Berry? And of course, the answer is yes. Mm. They're not going to change. Music was so central to people's to, to the culture and to people's sense of identity i don't know if you because you're a bit younger than me i don't know my school you went to school with your album tucked under your arm and it told you whether you're a metaler or a soul boy or yeah, whatever yeah um and that kind of and i know people who used to i was one i used to run to the news agents on in those cases on a thursday morning to get the nme to read what nick logan who was the great editor of the nme um whatever he'd put in there to read it all and i know that people talked to me about when i was doing it during Manchester and things like that they felt the same involvement mm. music is actually more in the society mm. the, but there's more big pop stars than ever um many of them are female and of course they're all making their money out of live performances rather than records things have changed but it's no longer a badge of identity it's no longer people don't die in a ditch over music anymore people yep. used to die in a ditch over whether to go back to an earlier conversation whether black sabbath were better or worse than deep purple yeah no one dies in a ditch over music anymore and that's because it's all out there yeah and other things have changed as well when when i was um growing up music had a past and a present mm. and a future music doesn't have that anymore because of the internet it all exists in the present tense yeah the only exception to that for instance I'll give you two examples. The Doors and Jimi Hendrix now sell more records than when they were active. Mm. If you include DVDs and yeah, things yeah. like that. They, because, because people like them and they find them and they, there is an, an extended and ongoing present. The only thing that stops that, of course, is black and white. People don't like black and white yes. films. People will always prefer um, 
the Beatles' two colour films to Hard Day's Night, though Hard Day's Night is the one with it's the energy. Far superior and a lo- uh, lot less racist. Uh, there is, there's that too. <laughs> but, but people, but young people won't have it because it's black and white. Um, and so, uh, if I, if, to, to sum that all that up, it's the world that's changed. Yeah. The music is still wonderful. It's still possible to live it, to go and find things, to go and see things, to have it as part of your life. I just don't believe, mm. and I don't know where that energy has gone. It might be in computer games. It might be something's happening on the internet that I know nothing about. But that energy has gone somewhere else. That mm. sense of commitment, that sense of community, that sense of adventure. Because, you know, frankly, the record companies took, took, took it over and made it commodity. Mm. Now, the bands are still great. And the music's still great, but it's been commodified and it's too easy to get hold of it. Mm. I don't think that's what's happened. And the music magazines, I mean, there are great magazines online, though. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can go and, 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 and see to websites and read about music in the same excited way you did when you were a kid. You mentioned the, uh, the, the, talking about online, and, and the, the thing where I thought, oh, the enemy is actually dead, it was about two years ago. And they, I can't remember what the article was. It was online, enemy online. And um, they called George Harrison, the bass player for the Beatles. And I thought, wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's. But actually, that, that was that's um that's that's the the symptom not the disease yes. the disease was um when the enemy stopped slagging records off yeah, yeah um they they became as the circulation fell obviously they became more and more reliant on their advertising it happens um and whereas in i remember when joshua tree came out mm. and the enemy slaughtered it and it was they had pages they had pages and pages of advertising book they were you too after all mm. now i think it is in many ways, a clunky old record, Joshua Tree. Yeah. I mean, Love Comes to Town, the track with uh, with with B.B. King, is the first ever example of a 13-bar blues. <laughs> I mean, it really is that clunky, isn't it? Mm. Um, and Mark Sinker, bless him, said it. Yeah. And there was hell to pay, but my argument would be, that's what we we're there for. If it's yeah. not as good, dark kids need to know whether to spend their 3 and 11, oh, whatever yeah, it was. Oh, no, exactly, yeah. And, and I don't think there's that, that level of criticism anymore. Certainly not um, in the music press. No. It doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the thing that they give away at the train stations, I used to cry about it, to say, a big fat tear rolling down my face. It was Baker who said to me, Danny, our names aren't above the door anymore. Yeah. Our DNA is not even in this thing. Stop fretting about it. And yeah. he was right. Let's go to Hamza. Good evening, Hamza. Hamza. No, hang on, let me just try this. Hamza, are you there? No. Oh, hang on, yes, he was, I heard you. Hamza! Hey, hold on. There you Hello. are. Hello. Hey, man, what you got for us? You're right, yeah. It feels like uh, I'm probably just going a bit off topic now. That's, That's right. no problem. If you're not but, um, That's what we've been doing for the last but, two and a uh, half hours. <laughs> but I heard you mention your, uh, earlier your spontaneous radio show. And I just listened to you about 12, 10 years ago when I was a kid. And uh, earlier today, I was just on the coach. And uh, I thought, what should I listen to? It's a two-hour coach journey, right? Yeah. And I remembered your radio show, uh, Triple M. Oh, you're talking about uh, my show? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and honestly, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, it's brought me back. Triple M, for that means it was, was it, it's, a, it's a tried and tested formula that I, everyone has done, but basically it was at LBC, uh, before it became LBC, and, uh, we would just take calls straight to air. So the, 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 the producer would sit in with me, we'd talk, and I'd just touch the screen and go, line two, yeah. line five, line seven, you're on, and, and it was wonderful, and it was, uh, sometimes it was a car crash, and it, uh, at its best, it was a lovely psychedelic three hours. What does the 3M stand for? Uh, it was, oh god, Mick's Mental Mayhem. Just some bloke called okay. Mick came up with the title okay so we call it triple m and it evolved into that i, I, I wouldn't be doing my job for let that no. pass what does, well done. what does the three m's mean yes yeah. you're, you're well yeah. done your journal uh, credentials thank are you very much yeah well thank you Hamza. i'm glad you enjoyed it man 
Yeah, I think you should bring something like that back again. Well, wouldn't that... We did what? <laughs> do you know what? I filled in for Dr. Pam uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday, and um, and we did something similar then, and it, and it, it, it was quite nice. You cut, the thing is, here's the thing, right? I don't think you can do it too often because it loses its 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 spell. Yeah, and so also because you had you had regular like Verinda yeah. and. Uh, Lynn, I think it was. Lynn from Forest uh, Gate, God, yes. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I remember the other one. Yasser. Yes, but here's the thing, right? Here's, like, here's why it doesn't. Have quite you ever peed in a swimming pool? And stuff like here's that. why it doesn't funny. work quite so well here, is because it's a new station, because it's only DAB and online, and because it, the audience, you know, is growing, but it's not as big as we would like it to be. You don't have such a wide gene pool of sure, people to call sure. in, you know. Um, whereas if we were to do it on Talk Sport, for example, which yeah. has got huge listing figures, that's right. When I put out a subject, you'll see sixteen oh, lines later. God, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and this show gets more phone you know phone calls than any other show on the station but to, for something like that to sustain week on week you need you need more people yeah. with more points of view yeah. with more madness yeah, yeah. exactly but hamzen oh, you yeah, never you never know it, it, maybe maybe one day let's go to um dom good evening dom evening champs you all right yeah, yeah very good just fascinating show tonight. You've sparked like about a thousand nodes of interest. I know. It? There's so many trains of thought that I've not gone off on, and I'm going to. But I'm, I'm having a time of my life. You, are you enjoying yourself? Oh, Dana? absolutely. Good. Good. Oh, good believe good. me, I, if I if I wasn't, I'd be gone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, and you know me well enough to know that's I true. Do, I do. Yeah. Thank you. Go on, Dom. I've pared it down to two. Uh, Tony Wilson, Thatcher Records. Yeah. Do you think he was an artistic genius or just like a, an intellect out of his depth? Ah, uh, no. It, Tony was. Tony was. Uh, Tony. What Tony essentially was um, was a showman, wasn't he? He was a brilliant showman. Um, you know, he, he took that that TV show that he had up there in Manchester, and when he brought all the punk bands onto it, uh, he knew he was yeah. onto something. Yeah. I was very close to him. You know, Factory happened to be the big thing when I was in the music press, and he. He knew how to make things into a story and you know, how to make stuff happen. And he was a very talented man. And I, and, uh, I, I actually think he was a great loss. He, he, of course, he, yeah. he, he could be a knob, couldn't he, Tony? He would say yeah. stupid things, right? And he would act a, a bit of a knob. But he was actually a great, great bloke. And, uh, you know, whenever I... I remember we once we did a, a cover of The Enemy about about when indie records were really... There was a thousand indie labels. Yeah. You know, and Steve Lamack wrote a brilliant thing in it. It's about the bands and the spontaneity of it all. But in the end, the page... I'm sorry I did the interview. The page that I wrote with Tony's views, they were just... He saw through... He saw through the phoniness of pop music while loving it at the same yeah, time. Yeah, And he spun oh, yeah. that. And he was like a circus master. He was great. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon, Dom? Yeah, definitely. He was... He was he, He'd walk down the queue outside the Hacienda or the Russell Club and he'd, mm-hmm. he'd, someone would shout the sea bomb at him and his missus would say, well, doesn't that bother you? And he'd say, well, no, because they're noticing me. Yeah. I, 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 I thought he was perfect for the role. He just didn't have the business acumen to sort of back it up. Ah, well, you know, pop music and business, business, <laughs> they don't really go hand <laughs> in hand, do they? Um, well, and, yeah, and, and you say you say that, but listen, everyone knows the name of the Hacienda, everyone knows the name of Factory Records 30 years after their peak. They've gone into legend. Tony would have regarded that success, not necessarily making a load of money for it. Oh, I worship the man. He died like 10 years ago, a few yeah. days ago. And, uh, no, no. Yeah, he's brilliant. Totally great man. Did you say you had another thing you wanted to press? <laughs> I did, yeah. And it's sort of vaguely around the same time. 
And I only bring it up because I saw him today. I live in Macclesfield and I saw him today. Yeah, Mutley out there, Matt Lads. Yeah. Uh, Tristan O'Neill. Did you ever have any dealings with them? Was it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I I, I remember when the Mac Lads came out with their slightly off colour, slightly non PC first LP. And I think I reviewed it. And um, I think I reviewed it very negatively. Um, And the the only issue was, of course, I said they were from Manchester and they're from Cheshire. And they were. Macclesfield is not in. Sorry, I said they were Lancastrian. And they were. For the next two years, they. They were, they were very keen to point out in every interview that Macclesfield <laughs> is in Cheshire, not in yeah. Lancashire. They're back t- are they back together again, did I read the other day? They did something. It was they some were refused entry. They were refused entry. No, that was Pete and the Test Tube Babies. Right, oh, God, refused, there's the last one. They were the refused entry to the United States because one, the lead singer, Peter, I presume, yes. um, dresses up as Donald Trump and goes um, romp- womping around the stage as Donald oh, Trump. Good, good for him. Yeah, and they sent, they sent him oh, back. Good they for him. Back. Well done. Dom, thank you for that, mate. I tell you, we'll take a break, then we'll have Kyle, and then we'll. Uh, who knows See where it goes. Gonna go. yeah. Yes. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Oh, oh, I just whacked myself in the face with the headphones. Let's take Kyle and then um, we've got Danny Kelly is here. You can, oh, calls, uh, whatever they've got. There we go. Kyle, what have you got for us? Well, I've got to say good evening, Ian. Good evening, Danny. Evening, Kyle. Evening. I've got to say, uh, a strange show. I don't mean that disrespectfully. No. Very interesting show. Yep. Different. We like to do, do, do things differently if we can every night. So yeah, I'm I'm having the time of my life. We're, we're on until brilliant. six o'clock, Kyle. Don't forget. No, that's fine. I can stay. There up was no that. plan, Kyle. We, we, we were we were when Ian first came over to work because we share an office, talk sport and talk radio. Yeah. We started chatting about what we do, and I I was saying how much I'd like some of the things he'd done on local radio. And at some stage, either he or Catherine just said to me, "Would you come in and just talk about about music and life and stuff?" And I said yes. And of course, you say yes, and you never think it's going to happen. Yeah. But uh, actually, I, I said yes because I wanted to do it. So Thank you. Uh, so um, it's a strange show because there's been no plan. We just wanted to make radio, you know. Thank you, Danny. I was going to say, there were so many questions I was going to ask you from a, a sort of radio point of view. But one of the things I wanted to pick up, specifically you, uh, Danny, mm. that was all right, um, when you were talking about the uh, the black and white footage, uh, I know it's quite a bit, a bit geeky. Yeah. Um, but uh, recently, David Lynch has brought back Twin Peaks, mm. and he did an episode more or less completely in black and white, and that's received uh, sort of critical acclaim. And there was that film... I can't remember. The artist. Was it the artist? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. And and that sort of got that acclaim as well. So, do you think there is an audience for people to sort of listen and, and watch that type of thing? Well, now? that's the novelty factor, isn't it? A little they... bit. I mean, David David Lynch, of course, made his reputation with a black and white film, Eraserhead. When every other film in the history of the world was colour, his great breakthrough was the film Eraserhead, and yep. that's all black and white from start to finish. Do you know? Um, look. What I'm saying is, I think it, dis- it puts young people off. One of the great successes in the media right now is a TV station, if you have all the satellite stations, called Talking Pictures TV, mm-hmm. um, which only really shows neglected British films. Uh, and about, I would say, 70% of those are in black and white. Fine for me. I just don't think that my nieces and nephews, who are teenagers and above, will be as, as interested as perhaps I am. My kids are all right with it because yeah. I started them early. Oh, right. with, with black and, and when you they turn s- the contrast down yeah. on the television. <laughs> when they see a black and white film, they go, oh, the, this must be really old. I, and, and, you know, and I've sat and um, 
had the Marx Brothers on, and they've they it's held their attention for a bit. They they didn't really get Laurel and Hardy, which broke my heart. But I noticed that um uh, that Beatles documentary, the Eight Days a Week film, yeah. which I thought I thought was terrible actually. Mm-hmm. But they had colourised footage in it, and no. I just thought, no man, it was. It, you, I know why you're doing it because it was an American even movie. Even the most serious documentary makers, I mean, you know, all that, those the whole series of documentaries about the Second World War, yeah, and the First World War in colour. Yeah, no, sorry, no. it's not in colour. No, it doesn't doesn't even incidentally just as a matter of interest about that again bring it back to music excuse me one second is it kyle kyle yes kyle. yeah um recently uh the, the alex my my missus she she knows me better than anyone um we went to uh to, it was the battle of the somme the, this year was the anniversary yeah. of the battle of the somme um the original fi- the, all the film all the film that, that everything that we think is a war film now all comes from one thing and that was the government sent out filmmakers to shoot what was happening on the song so it's going to be a great triumph and of course it turned yeah. to be a great disaster yeah. um so everything that, that we ever see now of soldiers moving up to the line of explosions on the horizon all stuff that makes war films is all in the document the black and white documentary film that came back to this country anyway um she took me to see it at the barbican it's mm. now an hour and a half of this film i can't remember it's just called battle of the Somme. Mm. and at the time in britain Half the population saw it in cinemas. Wow. What was wonderful was there was a full orchestra and a young woman had done a new score for all this film. It was really, really brilliant. Dunkirk is also brilliant, by the way. Right. Um, and it was, it was extraordinary, um, seeing the, the black and white film and hearing that. Yeah, a yeah. Score to oh, it. I bet. It really was oh, very, very incredible. good. Incredible. Um, and the, uh, the, the part of it that I remember being most moved by because I'd seen another documentary on the television and it was black and white, but point making it wasn't colorized. Yeah. Um, there was there's a scene where some men are preparing they're loading ammunition onto a cart and they're stood smoking and drinking cups of tea mm. on the morning of the song they're about to go over the top in a lane and i Gosh. saw an amazing thing on television mm. you know and this is where we're going to radio tributaries yeah um they wanted to know what these men were saying because it's a silent film mm. and they'd got britain's greatest lip reader in right that's a great title she's, by she's the a way. lady <laughs> And she is profoundly deaf. Yeah. Properly profound. So lip reading, she is brilliant at it. Yeah. And the whole documentary, the film I was watching was about the moment that the, these men, they're 20 minutes away from going over the top into almost certain doom, as it turned out. What are they talking about? All the rest of it. And it was great. And she got, they got her in a darkened room and she's looking at the film. And this picture, the piece of film is incredibly familiar to everyone. You'll see it. There's this men loading ammunition onto a cart and then there's men stuck in a sunken road smoking drinking tea and talking to each other mm. she was great and she had that way of speaking that some profoundly deaf people have when they slightly hit because they yeah. can't hear themselves and it was the document it was hair standing in my head because she's and she's got i'm sorry i won't do her voice i'm sorry i i can't hear it i don't get it and they they're going she's, they're trying to talk to her saying well they're, they're lancastrians she got mom i can't understand what they're saying and she, then they said, they, they're a battalion from Preston. And she goes, oh, it's a ribble accent. She's so sensitive. <laughs> oh, wow. And then she was suddenly... Isn't that uh, He's talking to him about, him about his wife, and he's saying um, about something about the weather today and all the rest of it. <laughs> and she was absolutely struggling. This, I say Britain's leading lip reader. Yeah. And then they, they, I think they're men from Preston. She said, oh, it's a ribble accent. And then she's suddenly... And it's, it it was just incredible. Oh, it was Isn't amazing. That amazing? And that's another way in which, you know, and we're talking about something completely different now, the way science... 
yeah. keeps on allowing us to look back at things in history, yeah. probing them in different different ways, and still we learning ne- more. We, who knew? Yeah. We, we thought that every word, every drop of juice that could be squoze out of that morning of the first morning of the psalm had been done. Yeah. But no, someone else has got the bright idea of getting someone to read that. Extraordinary. D- d- this is th- th- now we're going on a tangent. Th- mm. This re- completely different. I Not like the rest of the show, no, which no. has been dead. But that, re- ahead. Th- you're, that remind. Do you remember the TV program You Bet? Yes. Your talk of Britain's leading uh, lit reader. Yeah. Do you remember there was a? It was a, basically it was hosted by Matthew Kelly and then Darren Day. And I so, know. I think I know what you're going to say. The guy that could read oh! records by looking at the grooves. That genius. Isn't that? So Pete, he would be handed a record and he, he could tell you what it was by looking at the grooves. Yeah. Amazing. That uh, was an amazing act. Now, yeah, of course. Of course, um, uh, which uh, I really hope one of Britain's greatest writers isn't listening to what I'm going to tell you in a second, but yes, <laughs> just for the children who didn't see this, he would come on, <laughs> they would cover up the label on the centre of an LP, yeah. that's the 12-inch records, and he would look at them, now I hope they'd covered up the, um, the kind of... The, the, the run-out the, the, Yeah, with yep. the number on it, yeah. And he would go, oh yeah, this classical music, obviously, yeah. And then he would suddenly say, oh, it's Samala's Third Symphony, and he'd be right. Uh, but who yeah. played it? Who, he, uh, no, it was amazing! No, no, that... Uh, I, I always assume. I mean, I love magic, right? Yep. I really like magic. I like yep. close-up magic. I like Penn and Teller. I like people who make the Eiffel Tower disappear. Yep. I assume it's all fake, um, and I assume that was fake. That but, wasn't fake. But no, I know it was just amazing, wasn't it? It's real because I I kind of looked into him about six months ago because I just remembered it. I thought, oh, I wonder. And he's he's it, that's that's his life is looking at records and telling people what they are from the groove. So, obviously... Do that with an MP3, kids. When, when the NME um, was, was, was top dog, our great rival was the Melody Maker, and we loved anything to put down the Melody Maker. Yeah. I did terrible things. Go on, I go on. Oh, there was a thing called a new music, a new music seminar in New York. Yeah, everybody was involved in the music business, indie record labels, big record labels, music press from all around the world would go to New York for there'd be like five days of gigs and meetings and stuff. Yeah, and I remember the um, oh, what's the big hotel called, the Marriott? Yeah, well, it's like twenty-five stories in right in the middle of Manhattan, and you know, it'd be absolutely packed with music people only. And I remember one year, forgive me, and I hope Simon Reynolds isn't listening, um, I got to, you, you got, it's one of those American, American hotels where there's check-ins on like the seventh floor. Yeah. So I went up there and I was getting checked in and I, I saw that they had all the bookings from IPC, the company that both Enemy and Melody Maker were published for, and the rooms were very hard to get. I said, you see, um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, that's my room thing. These three rooms for oh. the Melody Maker, they're not coming now, <laughs> you can let those. And I, got, I, I, let, I, I cancelled the Melody Maker's rooms. <laughs> I mean, I, would go, I used to go into to train stations to WH Smith and put all the enemies in front of all the melody makers. But I also, <laughs> yeah, and I used to cancel their rooms. That was really, That's really naughty. bad. It is naughty, but yes. Wonderful. Anyway, anyway, back in the day, yeah. um, do you know who Richard Williams is? Um, you need to go right. You look him up on on Twitter. I used to work with someone called Richard Williams. Richard Williams is one of the great writers. All his computers died. He's a great writer. Yes, he has a music blog. I think it's called um, Almost Blue or something like that. Okay, I was going to plug my computer. Yeah, absolutely. And Richard Richard also is a great sports writer. He writes for the Observer, but he's still a brilliant. I mean, no, I'll say it. He's probably the best British music writer out there. Yeah. Anyway, back in the day, before I was in the music press, um, the, the Melody Maker ran a review of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's album Two Virgins. Oh, gosh. Right? And um, Richard wrote a very learned piece about the record. And then he describes side two and side four. He says, and they just give out a single monotonous tone, like, mm, surely the most 
deep, oh. carefully thought through and brilliant exposition of the eternal hopelessness and pointlessness of the human condition, on and on and on. Of course, what he'd been sent was acetates. And the other, the tone oh. is just to tell you you're not listening to the music. <laughs> and Richard had reviewed two sides oh, of tone, great. the essential hopelessness of the human condition captured by this great artist. <laughs> and it was an oh, well, he, he, I've never let him forget it. No one no, ever lets him forget beautiful. it. He's still knocking out the best writing about music. If you look him up on Twitter, particularly. Carl, did you have anything else? Uh, well, I was going to say, I know you will hate this Ian but I've oh. learned so much from you over the years I've got to say would you would you suggest anything else Danny to, in terms of being a, a radio sort of you know presenter or whatever what would you what would you advise be your top tip my my well first of all and I mean this and I'm not being flippant turn up mm. radio is one of those weird jobs where if you ain't there at the start you'll get sacked so turn up is yep. the first thing um yeah actually I would people the advice people give you about everything in the modern world is be yourself and I would say that doesn't work on the radio. Uh, you have to be yourself plus about 15%. Mm. You're not here to appear. You're here to perform. Very few people have enough personality that it's just going to just go on there and be, be yourself. I think you need to accentuate yourself um, a little bit. Other than that, no, not really. Um, that. Be, be yourself plus 15% is what I would advise anyone trying to get into it. And definitely, definitely don't try and be something you're not. Because phony radio is the it is so oh, easy can, to see. You can hear hate it. it. Oh, you can hear it totally when someone's... And I've done it, in, you know, yeah. in the past. You, you, you try and... You either take a false argument or you pretend to be something you're not. And people hear it that you're faking and it. You're, well, you'll hear it. The trouble is your own heart is shrinking as you're yeah. doing it. Um, but saying that, we are very lucky. We are in very lucky positions. I certainly am now. I wasn't a few years ago. I may not be tomorrow. We don't know where people hire us because they mm. want Danny Kelly or mm. they want me to yep. kind of do our acts and we've yes, got yeah. acts yeah, and shit, that's, what yeah. they, that's what they want but most people in this business because it's I think a lot of the personality has been squeezed out um they're not hired because of their act they're hired because that they can technically fill three hours and they have mm. to follow the, the, the strict rules of that. I can't stand that. I can't stand people going on the radio and just filling in the time, yeah. however well they're doing it. And but that's you, what a lot of bosses want. They, they, they can want it. They won't get it from me no. because this is too privileged a position. The big fat microphone and the red light comes yeah. on and you are in people's living rooms. Now, I don't mean, I don't want to sound like some kind of hackney TV presenter. The fact of the matter is that radio doesn't, inc doesn't require the listener to be concentrating fully, but it is immersing them. Yep, yep. They're doing the ironing, they're feeding the kids, they're watching the television with the radio on, whatever it is mm. they're doing. You're in their homes, why would you be just filling in the time? Yep. Also, I'm going to say this to you as well, we only have an infinite amount of, amount of seconds ourselves. It's all right for Neymar, he might hate football, but he's getting paid half a million pound a week. But if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to do this to the best of your ability, you can get other jobs that are just as well-paying, trust me. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Ross, notwithstanding, uh, just as well-paying as being a radio presenter. Do your best. Make something special. Mm. Why, you know, I, truthfully, if I was on uh, Norfolk Radio, Hospital Radio, I'd still try and do the best I yeah. could. Because what else, why else would you be sitting there wasting your time? Yeah. And whatever bit of talent you've been given. Um... 
I'll go, I'll go as far as this. Uh, this brings it back around to the music again that we started with uh, three hours oh, yes, ago. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Danny and I used to do rock and roll football on yeah. Virgin. Um, Virgin's now part of this group. Of course. Um, Chris Evans had had the gig, and we were friends. And um, he said, oh, I'm sick of rock and roll football. Will you do it now? You lot know more about football. And what essentially was a Saturday morning show for about four hours where you'd go, talk about football, and play music, hence the name rock and roll football. But Virgin, at that time had one of those pre-programmed music policies yeah. whereby they'd worked out what keeps people listening is 147 beats per minute followed by 157 beats per minute. You mustn't put a noisy record against a quiet one and so on and so on. So what we had, Danny and I, was we had the show going and the talking bits were good, but we could only see the next record and the one after that. We would hate the first one and we'd hate the second one even more, mm. but we had no control of the music policy. And it's a matter of some pride to me, because we were getting nicely paid there, because that was Virgin yeah. and Chris and all the rest of it, that after a, about six months of that, in the middle of the season, we said, we can't stand this. Yeah. I can't st we can't stand the music policy. We like music. We care about it. We, we, we'll, we'll choose the records. They weren't having that. Mm. They, it was, they got some kind of American computer program, which pulled down Heart. It's always Heart, isn't it? Yeah. The, not the radio station, the, tra the band Heart. Yeah. Heart. And then you'd get Toto um, out of Africa, or whatever it was called. <laughs> and in the end, we said, this is making us sick. We'll die. We'll die on air. Yeah. We left. No one... Hardly anyone now gets to choose their music, and that always—the great Jeff Lloyd, who I think is, mm. is, is another brilliant broadcaster, yeah, um, uh, uh, who recently left uh, was it Absolute, um, wasn't allowed to choose his own music. And I think if you've got someone who knows that much and is that knowledgeable, I want to know what records they want to play. I want to know what what they. I want to know. I want to share their knowledge it's, with it's, me. It's not just music, is it? Without without coming the old man on it, you know. Um, Public houses, the best pubs used to be the most individual pubs. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't make the most per square foot. And so now um, public houses are run. They have to have these beers, yes. this kind of music in the background, this kind of carpeting. Um, you mustn't have bald velvet seats, my favourite kind of seats in a pub. Um, and so they make an extra few bob. Um, but it doesn't make for the best pubs. It doesn't make for the best radio. No, I no understand soul. why they're doing it. It's become a sign. What, what is... It's not an art, what we do. It's an alchemy of some kinds when it's yeah. going well. It's certainly not a, 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 a specific science. And bringing in people with abacai, if that's the plural of abacuses, um, to do it, 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 you know, I'm, I'm moaning now. Probably, you know what? I'm so lucky. I don't play full tracks. I play bits of music on my shows and talks, and they let yeah. me choose whatever I want. And I throw it out to the audience now as well. They pick the tracks as well. Um, Carl, thank you for that, mate. Thank you. Great thank to you. talk to you, Kyle. Ta-ta. Um, we're, we're coming... Uh, to the end of yeah. this, but we've got another six hours, another five hours to go. Six hours, giving us an extra hour. Another five hours to go. Um, what, what, else, what is there? What is there that you want to do that you haven't? Is, is there something next? Is there a big project? Is there something in the back of your head thinking, oh man, I want, I want, I want to give this a crack? Look, I, I never set out to be anything. Um, I, I worked on the railways for three years um, because my father worked on the railways and I worked on the railways, and so. Um, I've never had, I've, Ian, I'm going to say this, I've never had any ambition except to whatever I fall into to do it as well as I can. Yeah. Um, I'd like to write, um, not, I don't want to write a novel. Everyone wants to write a novel. Yeah. I don't want to write a great comedy series. I want to write about um, the things I care about, music, about myself, um, my family, yeah. about growing up in, in, I grew up right in the middle of London. Um, we could walk to most of the big gigs and all that sort of thing. And yet I grew up in an extraordinary strange world. Um... I was in New York about five years ago, and I was noticing how much 
New York recognizes its Irish past. Yeah. The Irish bars are still very authentic. Um, you can find traces of New York's Irish past. My parents came here in the 50s. I grew up, as I told you, I didn't know any English people. Um, I, knew, I knew only Irish people, really, except the few Poles and Italians I went to school with. And the pubs down the Essex Road, where I'm from... Oh, the Essex... My mum grew up on the Essex Road. Where about exactly? Oh, do you know, I don't know. She went to... There was a school there, Owens. Oh, Dame Alice Owen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. My mum went to I there. Live, I live about 70 yards from Dame Alice oh, Owen's okay, school now. Oh, Wow. Um, you could do a pub crawl from the... The Camden Head was always an English pub. Yeah. But from the Swinging Sporran, down as far as the Green Man, including... Um, the thatched house, the king's head, the queen's head, the half moon. Yeah. All the way down, you could go from one Irish pub to another, to another, to another. Every trace that we were ever there. Now, of course, we're, we're the same freckly white colour as the local population. Yeah. And people have gone off and done well in the buildings and moved out to the suburbs. There's no trace that we're ever there. Yeah. I want to write about growing up in England, mm. but not knowing any English people. Yeah. And it's not a big political statement. It was just weird. Yeah. Um, I think it's very funny as well. I'll give you an example I always give. Um, um, and this is small we've got, R. We've got minutes. Small R racism. Yeah. My mum um, used to w wander along, and I realised at about 10 years of age that all my family worked on the buildings and did heavy work, worked on the railways and the buildings. And I said to her, um, why is it? First of all, we, we walk like, anybody know Tommy saw a, a garden that was untidy? Flowers weren't cut, or there was in a mattress in it. I'd say, she'd say, she'd go, English people. <laughs> Very lazy. English people. And I'd say, but why can't we do all the work, man? Why do we build the roads? Why do we build the hospitals? Why don't the English people do it? And she would say, because, Danny, they're too weak because they live on spam and chips. <laughs> they didn't eat proper food, in her mind. They didn't have spuds in their jackets. There you go, you see. Danny, I've, I've loved every second of this, mate. Thank and you I've really, so I've, much. I've absolutely, I've had a ball, as I You're say, very blast. kind, you're very generous with your time, and mm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always get a slight thrill when I see you walk in the office, because I've been listening <laughs> well, to we'll you Well, we'll do another years. one sometime, but let this one settle for yes, a while, I yeah? How about so. that? I think so. Uh, dear listener, we'll be back tonight at 10 o'clock. Don't forget, tonight, at <laughs> 10 o'clock, you can phone in to book your phone calls for Friday. Day. That's what we're going to do, okay? <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been The Late Night Alternative on Talk Radio. Ta-ta. Bye.